How come you don't wear gloves? Uh, how about because they're not needed? Castrate fifteen hundred podcast that nicked your thumb on the last. Hard to do him. You can need more gravel. I'm trying yes, to think. Yeah, well, but it's like it's nasally, but then he's Back got the my little banjo. Mustard. No, I can't do it. It's it, really it, credit to him, right? Can I try? I yeah, can't even please. almost hear. I it am again. an American cowboy. Is that it? <laughs> Did I get it? Well, this is what's weird about him is that he's grumbly in this, but he also does his Cumberbatch. I'm hitting American vowels too hard. (laughs) Right? Like, I'm like, there's like a little bit of like Nicholson, but then it's a Southern thing. And then yet it sort of works, oddly. It totally works because. Masterstroke of casting. You think he's doing a bit of a performance. And that's why he's so perfect for this film. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and why other things like Doctor Strange are, you're like, I don't mind this, but something's off, like, okay. or whatever. I like, don't, because I don't want to fucking talk about Marvel movies and Campion episodes, but I just want to get this out of the way, because I had this thought while rewatching this movie. I, I, I feel like we've talked about this, David. What? That, like, you're like, oh, he's so much better in Infinity War as Doctor Strange. Mm. Than he is the other movies as Doctor Strange. And it's because the one that's the one movie that Robert Downey Jr. is also in. So he is fully relieved of being fucking Downey Jr. snarkster. Yeah, being quippy. Oh, yeah. That's right, true. Right. Right. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And watching this, I'm just like, if he could have brought some more of this menace. fucking menace. Yeah. I like, like, I like that Doctor Strange these, is like this arrogant prick. And it's I know. But those movies have to have some quotient of like, but the audience needs to like him because these are movies that are about, you know, right. people to root for. You get to the vulnerability. Right. I mean, that, but that's that's why I'm like, this guy, Phil, the longer you watch this movie, you do start to develop weird sympathy for him. Oh, completely. Oh, yeah. Cumberbatch is a skilled enough actor that mm. I think he could pull that off, but it just feels like Marvel is terrified of the calculation of like, I was hoping after Infinity War, they'd be like, you know what, right? He doesn't need the jokes. It works. His fucking moment holding up the finger, him Good showing moment. the tenderness, whatever, all of that works. And then fucking like Spider-Man No Way Home. It's like, Scooby Doo. I agree with you that, but maybe in the new, in the movie, the, the new one. That's Bronco I, Henry in the Multiverse of Madness. Correct. Oh, what if Bronco Henry shows up? What that if, would be good. I, I want like Bronco Henry variants. I want like six Bronco Henry. Do you Henrys. think that's who Bill Murray's playing in the third Ant-Man movie? Maybe? A small, small, tiny, tiny brown. Forgot that he's in that. Yeah. I'm just imagining a portal opening and then like a lasso coming out. He's like, "What? Who's this now?" I knew he was in that because I was listening to your Ghostbusters. Uh, watch right. Yeah. What if? But wait, what if other Cumberbatches? So you have Phil, you have uh-huh. Sherlock. Uh-huh. <laughs> he Julian comes out Assange. with like a BlackBerry <laughs> or whatever. Julian Assange. Julian Assange, Julian Assange, Brexit man, Mr. <laughs> Brexit. Uh, you have uh, what's Patrick Melrose. I was going to say you beat me. He's in a tub. Uh, I mean, you obviously have uh, fucking Alan Turing. Yeah, Alan Turing, the molester from Atonement, investing computers, the molester from Atonement. What's the the the, the character from? August Osage County. Oh God, little 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 Charles. 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 (laughs) He he, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison comes out as that with a light bulb or whatever. Today we Uh, call it electricity. Um, and uh, uh, he can be both World War One characters from 1917 and War Horse. Wow, two two distinct but fairly similar kind of very very different different. (laughs) captains or whatever. Yeah, smog. Smaug. Khan? Khan? Khan. Uh, he's played what a you, lot of people. David, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Benicom Cumberbatch isn't, he didn't play Khan, he played 
You're, you're trying to remember the John name. John Harrison. There you go. John Harrison. What about um, The Grinch? Oh, yes. It's me, The Grinch. I hate Christmas. Uh, apparently I'll he's... never, I'll never, ever. I know I've devoted <laughs> so many minutes to this podcast. Too. I will never get over that's the voice he did. Um, apparently oh, he's... Hi, I am the Grinch. Pitt the Are younger? you guys talking about Matthew Morrison? Remember that guy? He's Pitt... I'm Pitt sorry. the Younger, the famous prime minister in Amazing Grace, apparently, an wow. early Cumberbatch role. Okay. And of course, Sheer Khan from Andy Serkis's Mowgli. Mowgli. What's the subtitle on that movie? Jungle of the Dark. Or... Legend of the Jungle. Pretty lame. Pretty lame. Apparently, he played Stephen Hawking in a TV movie? Yes. You know what? He talks about that a lot. He beat to uh, yeah. uh, Redmayne to the punch yeah. on this one, yeah. right? I've watched about half of that thing. He's crazy good in it. And he's talked about that he was like, this is it. This is the role that makes an actor's career. And it right. aired and his career didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And he had like a lot of resentment of like, I fucking nailed Stephen Hawking. No one and cared. And no one noticed. Yeah. And then like 10 years later, the guy wins the Oscar for it. But thankfully he was, uh, he was very well established at that point. The Cumberbatch, well, he, I mean, be- he beats Cumberbatch that yes. year. Imitation I know. Right. game, right? Yeah. is the same year, right? But still, I think if, I think if Redmayne had won for playing Hawking, before Cumberbatch had even gotten nominated, he or had even more experienced success, it. right? I'm sorry. Yeah, we, we're just doing a bit of a Cumberbatch. We have to but look. I just want to say this is a uh, blank check with Griffin and David. I'm I think Redmayne. I'm David. I think Redmayne is the hey, let me worst. Let because then we're going to go back to Cumberbatch. Those nominees. Sure. Oh, sure. That's I, of those five. I think I put him last. I Agreed. know you. I, well, may I, like that now, performance I think that was me. my. Was that 2014? 2014. Keaton? That was my first Toronto, and I walked out of the premiere, and right. I was like, "He's winning! He's winning the Oscar!" And everyone was like, uh, "Michael Keaton and Birdman is coming up," and I was right. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Keaton, you were right. Redmayne, Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Cumberbatch is good in the Imitation Game. I don't think that movie is particularly. good. I, I have think... never liked him in anything until Power of the Dog. Wow! wow. Really? Yeah. Okay, let me get the fucking name of the podcast out because we're going to talk about Cumberbatch for like an hour. We have to. Not an hour. Let's let's try and keep this episode. This is blank check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. I did. We did do that. I know, but then you interrupted it with the red main thing. How that has dare, to be a flow. How dare I interrupt? The power of the flow. Yep. Okay. Uh, and this is a podcast. Well, no, I have to start over again now. This is blank check oh, with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bark, baby. Boing. I said bark. Barf. Barf, barf, barf. Yeah. Uh, this is a miniseries on the films of Jane Campion. It's called The Podcastiano. The last time you're going to do that. Boof. I guess maybe you'll do it on China Girl. Oh, sure. But that maybe. will come out before this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, say we're talking Power of the Dog, her most recent film, a film that uh, is, at the time we're recording this, considered the frontrunner winning Best Picture. It certainly, certainly got the most nominations. She seems to Oscars. be a little bit undefeatable for Best Director. I, I this think so. Poorly, but I, I think kind she of, could win yeah. three Oscars. Yeah, I think so too. She, I would call her the frontrunner in all those categories. There also yeah. used to be the thing of like the Maybe Oscars like to share the love. They like to spread it around. Yeah. And recently we've had more of the like uh, Ineratu, Bong mm. Joon-ho, yeah. Chloe Zhao, yeah. where it's like they just let you win all of them. Yeah. Why not? Zhao won three maybe? I guess she won two. Did someone else? Did screenplay? Adapted? Yes, went to the father. Okay, so she won two. Yeah. She but wasn't she nominated for editing as well? Because that was such a, you know... She's nominated for The Eternals. That, maybe that's what you're thinking of for editing. Right, but she was nominated for Best Director of <laughs> Best, The Eternals. Yeah. Yeah. She was yeah. nominated for editing and lost 
to of course to Sound of Metal. Oh, which is a good one. Oh yeah, it's it, it is funny how much uh, a year a year out now it just feels like those Oscars kind of didn't exist. They, I feel bad for like especially Daniel Kaluuya, and it's like oh no one remembers. About it, I, it's, I feel it's bad a little the same lame. way I feel bad for right. like Lauren Holt getting hired on SNL in the COVID season. Yeah, where yeah. I'm just like yeah. you had you did, but it also kind of yeah. right. It's weird Oscars because I think the winners are largely good, but you're right that they're sort of weird asterisk Oscars. Yeah. And they always will be. Right. And they're just like, people didn't watch them. I mean, it was, look, I knew when Nomadland came out, but it was staggering to see the number repeated of like, oh, it did $3.4 million. Like, I understand. Um, but yes, very weird. This year, it does feel like Power of the Dog alone, it feels like, has been watched by more of the general public than the movies nominated last year. Well, when it first came out on Netflix, it was like in that top 10 like uh, for yeah. a while, yeah. which was really surprising for it a movie like that. It had more traction than you might have predicted, like partly because it's, it's got a big star in it. It had yeah, the, the marriage story the thing. thing where you're like, well, this is a movie for the coastal elites. Mm. And then like Netflix at large took to it more than you would imagine. There were memes? There were Bronco Henry memes? That's what I'm saying. Much like the punch in the wall. It have was you, like it fucking worked. Have you guys settled on Bronco Hosley, by the way? Is that? Mm. I think it has to be. And yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, because Power great. of the Haas is too obvious. Well, I mean, you, it could be. No, both. it's yeah. Bronco Hosley. Okay. Yeah. Um, a mysterious... Tell I'm, me the I'm, other. I'm ben like, says with his Invisalign. Tell yeah. me the other two nominees <laughs> that year, and Cumberbatch is on okay, the other. Okay, that's what I'm trying to remember. So this is rudely. Ray finds my winner is snubbed. Same, uh, my winner too. Is this the same year as the Lobster or not? No, it's the year before. The year before. Year before the Lobster, yeah. I guess. Because yeah. I remember that you and I talked about how weird it was that Colin Farrell didn't get in because it was. Oh, I five. think I know who it is. Can I guess? Yeah, of course. Steve Carell. Steve Carell for Foxcatcher <sighs> and a performance I don't like by an actor. I, I don't like that performance yeah. that much, but I think I'll still take it. I like it my God. Channing Tatum, the co-director of Power of the Dog, right? <laughs> He's better in Foxcatcher than Steve Carell is. I agree Absolutely. With, I, I would have given him the lead actor nomination. I would have put Ray Fiennes in there. And then, who's the fifth person? Was it a Best Picture nominee or it not? It was. It was, David says, with his fingers intertwined. I, I'll tell you another fact, but then you'll just know. Okay. This person has been nominated for nine Academy Awards. So it's a Denzel. Nope. What? Who's been nominated for nine Academy Awards and yet, in my opinion, has been treated fairly rudely by the Oscars? So he's clearly won before. Nope. Nine noms, zero wins. Lead actor. Mm -hmm. Nine noms. Mm -hmm. Now, I think two of those noms are for producing. Oh, is it a Cooper year? It's a Bradley Cooper. Is it American Sniper? Yep. Okay. Oh, well, I forgot that one for good reason. He yeah. has nine Oscar nominations. Yes. Now, it's actually Three. four for producing. Okay, so it's Nightmare Alley, Joker, American Sniper, and the fourth one is Star is Born. Right. And then also screenplay for Star is Born. Five. And then four acting nominations. Right. So it's the three David O. Russells and American Sniper. Correct. No, two, two David two O. Russells. Two David O. Russells, Star is Born, and right. American yes, Sniper. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, and yet I'm like, fucking Cooper is missing three noms here. Or, you know, like I'm looking. And, and obviously, well, no right, trophy. You're like, right. right, you're like best director. The, For Star is Born. Uh, licorice Pizza. The licorice Pizza supporting actor. Maybe that's it, but I don't know. Maybe there's another nom I want to slip in for him. Gotta Bur- think about Burnt, maybe. Huh? Burnt. <sighs> Burnt. He did. He did. 
uh, supporting actor in The Mule. Great, great performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, supporting actor in Joy. Supporting actor in War Dogs. Not bad performances. No, not at all. But no, but beyond that, the weird thing of like, they're now treating him like young Spielberg where they're like, yeah, okay. We right. get that you're good. Right. We'll give you nominations sometimes and no wins. Like right. the the weird kind of chip on their shoulder they seem to have right. about him. I don't know. Or 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 as an actor, they're also sort of treating him like like Dustin Hoffman or Pacino or someone where yeah. they're like, you'll fucking wait. You give it a rest. You'll with wait your and you'll like it. Acting. Right. And, you'll, and you'll win for something that's like not by any means right. the best. Right. Yeah. You'll right. win yeah. when you play right Mr. Sad and Mr. Sad, the Mr. Sad story. I don't know. What's that about? It's a real sad guy. Sad story. We should add that to the uh, blank check picture slate. (laughs) I mean, anyway, he was nominated. I like, I think that his performance in American Sniper is excellent. I do too. Uh, That was actually the one that kind of turned me around. I used to be kind of a Cooper skeptic. And that one, I was like, I wouldn't have bought this guy as this. No. Good. No. Um, I love that movie, but. That's a weird five though. Look, uh, talking about weird five. I think I put Redmayne last. I guess I put. Keaton first. I don't love yeah. any of those performances. No, you know my Keaton's, you look, know. Keaton, we all know Keaton is my guy. And my take on Birdman has always been that he is fundamentally miscast in that movie. He is. I don't like I, and I Birdman's think, not, not yeah, I Birdman's like a doo-doo movie, yeah. and people get angry when we say this. How dare we? Well, because well, in for I get maybe in David and I our case is that because we're critics, we're supposed to be like, well. You're, you're mad because the movie's mean to critics or whatever, but yeah. right. that's not why I don't like them. And then when, whenever we talk shit about it, people are like, Griffin must like it because he thinks it's an inaccurate portrayal of acting. Mm, I'm like, that's one of 87 yeah. things yeah. I dislike. I'm just going to say my five for this year is unimpeachably good. You hate when I bring it up. Now you're no, it's not that. It's 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 the thing where you look at a screen and go, "Wow, this is a good five. It's a good five. Where you give yourself credit for. The and five. these are five performances that I think maybe not one of them, probably not, but four of them were definitely in Oscar consideration. Okay, Matthew McConaughey and Interstellar. That's the one I would say probably sure. wasn't, but he was sort of riding no, high then. I I also I agree with you. I think that's his best performance ever. Yeah. Timothy Spall and Mr. Turner. Oh, I, that's my winner. Timothy Spall and Mr. Turner. Remember when you just grabbed someone's boob? And <laughs> 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 shuffles off. He did, he did win Potters and Murmurs that year, though. David Yellowo and Selma, who oh, is sort of, of a snub. Yeah. Yes, weird snub. Uh, ben Affleck in a little movie called Gone Girl. Sure. Wow. And then Ray Fiennes in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. That's yeah. An, a complete multiverse choice. I mean, that, right. they, that, that could have legitimately Those are happened. all movies that yeah. got Oscar attention. Yeah. They're all, you know. Yeah. yeah. So what the fuck? See, Dick Poop got in. I'll say just to recenter the it's conversation. I don't like the movie at all. I would have put Cumberbatch in my five. I think that, that that's a good performance. Game. I think he and Keira Knightley are both excellent in I that agree. movie. Yeah, but Griffin, you're biased because you love computers. So I just feel like <laughs> I that's do. You not love fair. old timey computers yeah. that had like a door. Well, you do, had to like. Do you guys know this? That computers they used to be the size of a room. Well, nowadays I don't know you what got you're these things about. in your pocket. It used to be the size of a room. I don't know what you're talking about. I only know about Turing machines. I don't know what you call them today. <laughs> right. You left before the title. Yeah, party. I left. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know. Yeah. You rid of the Turing yeah. machine. I'm leaving now. <laughs> Hold on over. one second. I just need to do the firmware update on my Turing machine. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest, weirdest, weirdest thing about the imitation game is mm-hmm. that it won an Oscar for screenplay and nothing else. And that's like the worst thing about yes. it. Yes. I believe it was on this podcast where I said I wanted the movie home again to take the Turing test. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
What a weird look. Uh, and and with that, with that, that's credit, a weird Oscar year. Yeah. Let's say, of course, joining us today for the first time in a while. So this is my second time doing the last movie in a series. Oh, because you did. And the I, had, witches. I think that this movie is a little better than The Witches. I'm just going to say hmm. it. I remember our Witches episode being us truly not talking about that movie at all. That was yes. Zoom at like 9.45 at night. Right. Yes. Like uh, I, my wife was like eight and a half months pregnant. I was like, slurping down some red wine it in, was my, like in my apartment. In right. This was this period of time where we would record really late because you didn't want to record until after your wife had gone to sleep. Yes. Uh, and it, I, the Disney Investor well, and there Conference was, also, was that night. You had the issue with oh, the, right. um, yeah. the drilling oh, that, that was made the other daytime thing. recordings hard. So I was like, well, if we're going to record after five, let's record late. That was that We'd record at like yeah. 10 o'clock at night or 930 and it yeah. was a nightmare. It would just fuck up. It, I, I will just say. I don't know. Those night pods Sometimes they were cute. Sometimes. Sometimes it was nice to do a little night check Took down an entire bottle of Pinot Grigio during our fucking uh, uh, Marwin episode. Wasn't it like a C-3PO Pinot Grigio or something? It and might have been you the Skywalker Ranch. that Soderbergh <laughs> liquor. What's the Soderbergh drink? Oh, Singani 63? Oh, sure. Love that shit. <laughs> yeah, sure. I re-upped recently. Okay. <laughs> Deal on shipping. <laughs> well, he brings it to you. He does. Our guest today is Richard Lawson. Hello. Vanity yeah. Fair and Little Gold Men and our Witches episode. Yep. This yeah. is eight eight timers? No, it's more than that. Nine timers? Oh, I don't know. I might be a 10. I don't know. I'm behind. I'm going to double check my counting here. I'm sorry. Okay, do the math. All right. Okay. And literally. Because Trolls, trolls, trolls experience is This is number 10. Wow. Where's my green jacket? Yeah. Oh, wait. Hold on. I'll go get it. 10 timer club. Wow. In. Uh, your first appearance was March 6th, 2016. So that was uh, Lady in the Water. Mm-hmm. So six years. Six years, 10 yep. ups. And then obviously Trolls the Experience. That was your, you've done two pandemic recordings with us. Mm-hmm. And this is the third, but we're in person, baby. We're in person. Yeah, we are. But yes, you, you called this one early, Richard. Well, uh, I threw you camp. I said, and, what do you want to camp? And I believe your line, as was relayed to me by David, was, I want to do Power of the Dogs. I want to do Power of the Dog, quote, for gay reasons. <laughs> you did say that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I think um, it's funny because I was thinking about it. Like, I haven't done um, many, like, queerish movies with you guys. But, like, the other one was Philadelphia, which is really depressing. And mm-hmm. this is also really depressing. But this one, I, this one at least has some sort of fun I with think this movie's it's, very funny. It yeah. is funny, but obviously it is also sad. It's bleak. The second time I watched it, I've now seen it three times. I remember being like, I guess the first time I was just kind of so energized and yeah. thrilled to be seeing this major movie. I was seeing it in a big screen. And like, I guess I was also just like, what the hell is going to happen? I was kind of on the edge. The second time I watched it, I was like, God, this is, yeah, this is very sad. Like, especially, obviously, Kirsten Dunn's character. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, just like, everyone's kind of sad. And the third time I was like, yeah, Benny's having fun. It's pretty funny. Mean old bastard with his banjo. Yeah. So malevolent. Um, Anyway, no, you've done other queer movies with us, Spanglish. K-19, The Widowmaker. Uh, These are all queer classics. Your boys. Home home Again is... Definitely the gayest movie I think you've ever done on this podcast. But but gay in like the Victorian sense, where right, you just right, mean like, right. Ooh, yeah, right. having a lovely yeah. time. Yeah. It's like, full of gaiety. Yeah, yes. that movie is uh, fun and fancy free. Right? Well, did yeah. Pico show up in something recently? Pico Alexander. Yeah, I oh, it was Esther was telling me the Pico was back. 
Uh, so I guess he finally a, escaped. A my, peek at the peek, though? My um my basement. I don't know what my joke is there. Yeah, oh, he's in the sky is everywhere. The sort of like young adult uh movie that Josephine Decker made that's yeah. like dropping on Apple TV really? like Friday. I have a screener sitting in my inbox. I need yeah. to watch wow. it. Uh, I hear it's good though. I also hear it's pretty the good. The book it's based on Jandy Nelson. It's it's um like a, a really good YA. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. Um and the witches is super gay. No, it's not. Yeah, it the wants to be kind of in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie, Power of the Dog, I hadn't read the novel. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't, I, I saw it they, like a little pre-screening before it was at Venice um, in New York and I had no idea that what it was about mm-hmm. except that it was a Jane Campion. And Jane Campion I like, but um, when I was a kid, we had a babysitter who um, was one of my dad's grad students. Phil Burbank? She, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, kids, I'm going to... No, sorry, go on. <laughs> he would talk to us in ancient Greek. Um, <laughs> while wrestling with us. Uh, no, uh, she took uh, us to the movies and she really wanted to see the piano. And my sister was, I guess, I'm sorry, you mean the panani? Sorry. <laughs> the piano. <laughs> what is it? It's panano? Panani? Yeah, panano. The panano. Um, and she, my sister, who was maybe 11 or 12, um, that was 93, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they went to that and I was 10 and I was like, I absolutely not. It's about like old ladies and dresses on a beach somewhere far away. No, thanks. So I went to go see the Pelican brief by myself. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> arguably a more adult movie. Yeah. In some way. I know. I was it's about the, legal briefs. I was ready for the yeah. swerve to be little giants or something. And it was the Pelican after, It's about like a Supreme court. Justice. Uh, it was so, and I loved it. Of course it was the first movie I ever saw by myself. It right. was thrilling. in just, Ch- Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. <laughs> Yeah, you <laughs> was a little boy seeing the Pelican oh, Brief. I was full. I have no interest in seeing the piano. One for the Pelican <laughs> Brief, please. I was full Nelson Muntz in yeah. Branson, Missouri, just like <laughs> it's like, like Mulaney's bit about being the littlest gentleman, where right. he would like yeah. Yeah. take yeah. a briefcase or newspaper, go to a diner. Right. It was thrilling, and and afterward, I was like, you know, yammering away about the Pelican Brief. My sister could not have cared less, and then she was telling me about the piano, and she was like. You see this old man naked who is referring to Harvey Keitel. It's like, <laughs> but all you're imagining about, a sort of Santa Claus. Yeah, like, like, yeah, it's all, it's, it's, Martin Short comes along and tries to steal Christmas. Um, <laughs> like, it was all like a piano on some sort of cloudy beach. And I was yeah. like, and so in my head at 10 years old, and it took a lot of time into adulthood to, un, to like get rid of this, I was mm-hmm. like, Jane Campion makes weird, bad, boring movies. Sure. Not bad, just yeah. be, like esoterically art, artsy and all sure. that stuff. Right. And so I went in, even now, having seen a lot of her other films and liked them, trepidatious about Power of the Dog, having known nothing about it. And I was really, like, very happily surprised by the fact that it's kind of this mystery, not a thriller, but, like, it just, it's a really entertaining film in, in addition to all of its artsy, yes. deep thought it's kind also, of stuff. It, it's a very unique movie in the way it functions. And it functions in in a way that kind of defies logic. Like, you should not be able to construct a movie this way. Mm. In that you really... It was only watching it a second time that I realized how much you really don't know what the fuck is going on the first time. Like, it is a movie that provides you with no handles nope. to grab onto. Yeah. Well, Bronco Henry. Right. Well, but it's tough. <laughs> I mean, the, the, you have the fucking saddle is on the wall. It yeah, was it's true. Well, yeah. I, I watched it again a third time to speak with you guys. And um, especially on the third viewing, it's like this movie tells you what's going to happen literally in the opening. Like voiceover. Wild about the opening voiceover. Like, every single thing is, is set is set before you. Uh, 
plainly, you right. know. And it's, so that's it's it's a little it's like it's this little mystery box that like is actually deceptively simple. I don't that's know. what's yeah. odd about it. I mean, this is what I'm saying is like you watch it the first time and you're like, what is this thing? Where the fuck is it going? Yet you're still captivated by it, right? Oh yeah. Very often movies where there's not a clear like. You don't know whose perspective you're supposed to be, like, seeing things through, who you're sort of aligned with or not. Uh, you know, a character will be a central focus and then disappear for 45 minutes. Like, it's disorienting, but not in a way that ever pushes you out of the movie. You're kind of drawn in, even though you can't really get your bearings on what's going on. Doesn't really come into focus until the moment it ends. Right, yeah. And so then you watch it the second time. time and you're like, yeah, obviously. Right. Like, like, the first time I saw this movie, it took... You know, Johnny Greenwood's score is swelling. They're in the barn after the hides have been given to the yes. Native Americans. And he's tearful. And Cody puts his arm on him, hand on him. And I was like, oh, it's a gay thing. And then in the second viewing, the minute he sees him in the restaurant, yes. it's right. so patently obvious. Yes. And I, I think it's, it's just such an interesting, not Rorschach test, that's not the right, you know, analogy. But like, it, 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 it really morphs kind of like Greenwood's score, depending on yeah. How you're viewing it. How you're looking and at it. That's so compelling. Angle it's, it's odd that it feels elusive in that way, though. And it, it, I mean, you say like it's like a mystery movie, but it's also like the mystery you're watching is where's this thing going? Like right. what what is the drive? Of and who this is it thing? about? Who is it about? What's the drive? Why are all these people put together? What is the story? Where's the dog and what's its power? <laughs> right, exactly. Ben kept on asking. I mean, the dog is his name is Clifford. He's big and red. Is <laughs> yeah, his power. that's his power. He's, so he's right. like, which is a cool power. He's right. like an injured military dog, and this actor who hasn't worked in like five years is paired up with him. Uh, Jane Adams is bizarrely in dog, it. dog, 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 dog. That's gonna Channing Tatum money, saw the power of the dog, and he was like, "Wait, hold on a second. <laughs> Cut the the and the power and the of and the the. It's cleaner. <laughs> uh, David's I, doing the hand gesture. I'm just doing the longer. Oh, sort of. yeah. <laughs> um, power of the dog. I also, it's what you say, Richard. She made the piano. She made the power of the dog. In between, it's not like her movies never re resonated with people, but she never had. No broad appeal for any of them no and the, the piano casts like a huge shadow over the rest of her career up until this movie arguably where you're like yes that much. woman who made the piano and this is a movie where it's like this absolutely feels like the movie she would want to make and would be yeah. interested in making but once again somewhat serendipitously it's just kind of crossed over yes with being more of a broad right uh commercial I mean it's so hard to say this with like Netflix but like you know what I mean just it like it does feel like it though. the kind of movie that I would tell everyone in my life to watch. Yeah. Versus I love in the cut, but I'm not going to be like, no. you know, everyone that's should see in the cut. Kind of, right. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. when it's coming out. Yeah. yeah. No, that's when people ask me, like, what should I watch? I'm like, well, you've seen Power of the Dog, right? right. And if they haven't, I tell them to see it, regardless of who they are. I'm just like, that's a movie that's anyone would find compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I took my boyfriend to see it and I, oh, afterward, right. we went to see uh, at the Paris, which was, you know, which was really fun. Um, well, I mean, the crowd wasn't fun, but the movie you know it was nice to see it on a big screen and um I, afterward i was like so what did you think happened at the end and he was like and he just laid it out perfectly and i was like oh so i guess some people actually just is more accessible in some ways than it was even you know for me who was yeah. sort of professionally um so yeah i think it has much broader appeal than what, a lot of campions what was you know? his take on it well he knew right from the restaurant scene that that there was a sort of gay you know Free not, song. A yeah something happening 
he he knew immediately like when Cody was riding the horse that he was going to make him kill, you know, fill with anthrax. Like it was like he had it all mapped out. And huh. um, I which is an interesting thing, because, again, it, the movie morphs depending on what yeah. you're bringing to it. I and, struggle to watch movies that way now because it's, I just I'm not good at it. I'm too like, oh, yeah, like yeah. I struggle to predict what's going to happen. I, but I truly was flabbergasted by the end of this movie. Yeah. Like, I, I was certainly not yeah. what I was expecting I, at all. I mean, I kept myself very clean. I, I even though Good, I saw... Because you look at anthrax. Thank you. Even though I saw... Uh, anthrax is a sick name for a disease, though. Yeah, right? also a- sick name for a band. It might be... Well, yeah. Jinx. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, though. It's, like, probably one of the better disease names. I didn't know until I watched this movie, which is kind of embarrassing, when they said it. And I was like, it's 1925. There's an X at the end. There's no way they had words right. like that. You're like, what? Then. Did someone you know, send like, an envelope to yeah. Tom Brokaw? Yeah, Where are like, they finding right. anthrax? Like, there's an X. Like, there's that. That's they've not had, a 20s word. They've had that bullshit since Greek times yeah. or whatever. Still yeah. taking Paxil? What is, what is it? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. These aren't uh, old timey Western words. No, I was going to say, I, I kept myself fairly clean in this movie. Good thing. Otherwise, you get anthrax. Uh, despite seeing it months after you guys. I had just sort of gone like, yeah, I'm going to like that. I want to see that. I don't need to read. Yeah, sure. I'll, right. no anything need else to about it. Very prep. often, like right. with, uh, with film festival movies like that, I'm like, cool, won't watch the trailer, don't need to know anything. And the two things I sort of had in the back of my mind before seeing it were you calling dibs on it, quote unquote, for gay reasons. Okay. Oh, so you hadn't even seen it, I guess. No. Okay. Yeah, right. No, and I was just like, huh, I wonder if Richard has some gay reading of Power of the Dog. <laughs> oh, like I saw some subtext in there. Right, yeah, like yeah. even watching it, I, I was yeah. not picking up on anything until the scene with the fucking handkerchief, right? Right. right. Uh, I, I, I thought like Richard's going to have some fucking galaxy brain take on this, right? <laughs> no, it's a very right. straightforward. Yes, yes yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then David saying the thing to me of like, it's one of those movies where you really don't know where it's going and it's not until the final moment that you go, oh, now I see what she was doing. And, and when you said that to me, I imagined it more in a sort of like, oh, that's what the movie's really about. Like maybe the metaphor doesn't click into play. Mm-hmm. You know, her sort of thematic interests don't sort of become, come into focus. Sure. But even still with those two things that you guys had told me, I sat there just being like, Huh, I really don't know what this movie is, and I don't know if I'm getting it less than other people. I'm transfixed by it, but like I have no idea what the fuck's going on. I would say I didn't really lock in until about the same scene as you, and then I was sort of with it, but just going like, so what is this movie exactly? Yeah. And then, yeah, and then was completely like thrown off by the ending and and kind of knocked out by the movie and whole. And to that end, like, you know, the, the, you could hear something about that movie like, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch plays a sexually oppressed cowboy in the 1920s. Right. And you would watch a lot of that movie and be like, this movie is explicitly and maybe solely a tragedy about this like horrible man who, you know, visits his repression onto a younger person yes, who right. is more demonstrably sure. himself. That is certainly but what then, I thought the movie was. But then at the was, end of the right. movie, it's like, no, the tragedy is about, I mean, it's about, Phil, but it's 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 about Cody's, you know, it's about that kid and like that that Peter. the closet has warped him to such a degree that he becomes a murderer, you know. And I just think there's such a surprise throughout the movie in terms of like, well, again, who it's about and what how it's about that. I think like watching the second time, the thing that became so clear to me is like above all else, this is a movie about uh four like unbelievably fragile people. Yeah. Right. Certainly. And how differently they deal with uh, sort of protecting 
their fragility in like a, a, in a, a hostile tense world. Right. Exactly. Yes. Right. Right. And the only guy who comes out of this like really kind of clean is Plemons. Right. Which I kind of disagree with actually, because I rewatching it again, I think that a lot of I'm sorry, I'm bad at character names. Kirsten Dunn's character, mm-hmm. Rose. I think Kiki. a lot of Rose's mounting misery is because very pointedly, Plemons leaves the film for like the a huge right. stretch. She of kind film. of neglects and, and lets it fester. And he, he's right. like, I'm just going to stick her in this house with my horrid brother. Right. And maybe her son once in a while, and I'm going to go off. To He's town so and do afraid like, of confrontation. Yeah, like, you know he right. can't. He can't handle confrontation with Phil or with Rose. Like you well, know, he to also help, he, help her stop drinking or anything. He, uh, I mean, he's not unique in this, but he like really cannot express himself. Right. You know, he's really not good at verbalizing things. It's why yeah, I, I this whole season as like he would get thrown onto lists. I'd be like. Look, I love Plemons. He's fucking great. But I'm sort of surprised he's even in the Best Supporting Actor conversation, especially when there's already another supporting candidate from this movie because he's doing such sort of like just quiet, sturdy work. Right. And then re-watching it, I was like, oh, right. I forgot that he kind of owns the first hour of this movie. Yeah. That he is sort of the closest thing to like a principal character you have. The as scene, much as it is on scene where he cries and says, I'm so happy not be alone. That's right. That scene is so right, wonderful. You know? but, right. but then the other scene that's so sort of telling is when he goes into the back room and he just puts the fucking wine dripping blanket over his yeah. arm and starts yeah, serving yeah. the food and whatever, yeah. where it's just like, you're kind of taken by like, command. this guy is so sort of attentive to the sensitivities of other people. He can sense it. Yeah. The thing he says, he picks up on her crying, all that sort of stuff. But you're right. There is this question of like, why does he leave her for that long? Is he oblivious? Well, he also, I think, railroads her horribly about the piano playing, right. and mm-hmm. because he's not listening to her, because all he saw was a pretty lonely woman who he sure. could marry. She was probably the only such woman for like what hundred miles, hundreds of, hundreds right. of miles, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 so kind of plucked her out of this what he deemed a lonely, miserable existence. But we kind of, as the movie goes, are like, actually, maybe it wasn't so bad. Like, yeah, these sure. cowboys would come in and be jerks, and the, she was grieving her husband, but like it was better than rotting away in this house, you know, and then he embarrassing her in front of the fucking governor, you know? Right. Um, so I, I think that like Campion really subtly and, this, you know, in the script, like teases out that Plemons, yes, is one of the better people in the movie, mm-hmm. but even still like is, he, well, he thinks he can just fix well. it with like, yeah, we'll bring her piano to the house. We'll right. spruce the house up. And it's like, the house is kind of terrifying. It's dark, imposing. The house was gorgeous. She moves to Crimson was, Peak. Those and, interiors right, right. were really nice. <laughs> and also, and, it, and, the, and right. And it's like, oh, come on. All this house needs is a lick of paint. Don't mind my brother who, and like Cumberbatch is just like lurking at the top of the David won't his stop banjo. miming Cumberbatch playing the banjo. I just want to make it clear. This Every five minutes, David's doing banjo hands. Uh, and when, you know, and Cumberbatch is basically like, I hate you, you fat fuck. I see that you. And he's like, yes, brother. You know, it's been a good 25 years. Like he cannot, you know, deal with it. I guess that's, that's sort of more what I'm saying is that Plemons is the only one who doesn't feel sort of broken by the world, right? Like everyone else, it takes sort of central damage on them. Yeah. And perhaps the casual cruelty of the Plemons character is the thing that gives him the best survival mechanism, which is he's able to sort of disconnect a little bit. He's not. Whereas everyone else feels like too fucking deeply all the time and has to develop some sort of protective barrier. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more just that like Campion may be arguing that like 
even for a relatively decent guy like Clements's character, that in this hierarchy in the 1920s in Montana, that male interest, whether that's conflict or mm. compassion or whatever, still operates higher than the concern for a woman. You know, like Phil is is more important to attend to or sort of or appease or whatever than his wife is um, because of the way that this social structure is ordered. Sure. I, I mean, there's also there's something to like almost all of her films have some sort of conversation with like the indigenous people of whatever land her movie is taking place on. Mm-hmm. And this movie does it a very small amount. A little and, bit. And the so, hides. yeah, right. And yeah. Adam Beach. And so, so the first time watching, I'm sort of like, what is this doing in here? Like, what is the purpose of this? But watching it a second time, it does feel like it's kind of a commentary on the, the sort of performative nature of the American people in general. Right. Sure. That there were these people who uh, lived on this land that belonged to them. And had this fairly organic life. Right. And then you had people come from another country who existed in opposition of the country that they were leaving, who were just like, no, this is what America is now. Right. And so much of it was that they had to affect the bravado of how to be tougher and more deserving and appreciative of the land and the people they were stealing it from. You know? Right. That like the cowboy, the American cowboy exists almost as like a performative one-upsmanship of the the native american right of just like we have to seem like we are more in touch with this more uh in control of the elements tougher you know like and and that's the whole phil burbank thing is just like how do i inspire respect in people if i just seem like i fucking get this better than anyone else right and and it gets to an embarrassing point of you like, can't watch i should, this I should probably me. stink right like, like right. that you know right. that's but, but it is right. that thing it's yeah. like Clemens asking him to wash up is so offensive to him because he's like, this is all I have. Right. If you clean me up, the whole fucking facade is gone. That's the thing. I'm this just, I'm right back at Yale right. doing my classics where I'm sure there's a whole backstory there, you know, about right. like, whatever happened with some guy at Yale, you know. Right. There, there's, a, there's a certain degree of anti-intellectualism that is like baked into the very DNA of America because it's an opposition of like the cultured Europeans, I, I would argue yeah. to a degree, right? Sure. And how quickly like the cowboy forms as like the archetype of like the alpha male. But then George wants to civilize, right? And he's like, no, no, no more ranching. I want to meet the governor, and I want to have a nice house, and I want to have a yeah. nice place that people can come in the railroad, and you know, like all that. And Phil is like, as you say, he's like ridiculous. Like you can't do right. that. Like that's not what we're here for. And and, and the the governor Both and his wife is kind of like flinty and sassy, and like, and even the parents like they see through him. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. They, he they, is he and and the the other cowboys kind of tolerate it because he's their employer. But like, and maybe he's kind of an oddity to them. But like, like the, there are people within the very tightly contained world of this movie who also it's not just the audience in their, in our modern times seeing sure. how ridiculous and pathetic he is. It's them. In, right, contemporaneously. You know? Phil's a little full of shit. He is tough stuff, I suppose. Yeah. If he wants the compliment, you know, whatever. He's castrating bulls with his hands and all that. Like, there aren't fine, that many movies know? with on-screen castration of yeah, any kind. That's true. As David points out, he does do the shit. Like, he, he has he become very good at everything. But it's like the dinner with the governor is like, the thing he cannot do is he is not a skilled enough actor to be fucking like little Lord Fauntleroy, academic whiz kid, 
pretending to be a cowboy, trying to appeal to high society. Right. He knows that, like, if he tries to split the difference with them, he's going to roll all the way back. Sure. Right. He doesn't right. want, right, he doesn't want to lift the veil. He just wants to be mean banjo, man. David's doing the hand. Um, Benny Dict Cumberbatch is incredible casting for this very reason. Very because right, yeah. people, I saw some reactions, maybe even before the movie was out, of people being like, well, come, you know, British actor playing a cowboy. Yeah. Like, well, you know, that's that, that he's very good at that kind you feel like it's a performance he's also like, he's an incredibly cerebral actor he's a great actor. and to hire him to play a tough guy feels like a mistake to hire him to play an american feels like a mistake yeah. like all these sorts of things I, I, I thought i like him a lot uh but it it is it is such smart like meta casting in that way it, it i mean because i i sort of blithely said that i haven't liked him in anything before this i just you know thinking back to when sherlock was such a big show and i would try to watch it because i was like this seems like something i should love mm-hmm. but it was like excruciating for me to watch that was a show um, i really struggled with you know yeah. um but uh, watching power of the dog you're like oh campion was like you guys have been using him wrong everyone has used him right wrong. this is this is what how you play him you know you 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 don't try to like shy away from his you know aristocratic bone structure and and bearing you just kind of use it to make a different point, you know? Yeah. Uh, it just, it's really, like, genius. And the accent work is a little bit, you know, wobbly for but me. I, but I, I don't mind it. Yeah. I want to say a couple used- things. For, let's do some... I want to give you a little context for this movie, because it is interesting, obviously, the Campion took such a long break mm-hmm. in filmmaking. But uh, Ben, anthrax, the etymology, Greek, the word anthrax in Greek means carbuncle, referring to the, the pustules you get. Oh. So that's why it's called anthrax. Damn. There you go. Sick. Uh, anyway. So yeah, so, you know, Jane Campion, she makes Bright Star. Mm-hmm. I would say that that s- salvage is probably too strong. But like, you know, it sort of mellows the blow I, I, I would of say two it, it almost resets flops. her, if that's... Right. It doesn't make a big enough impact to like salvage fully the damage of the previous movies but it does sort of reset her to like oh that's a director who makes critically respectable films um but she does not after bright star have like some usually she would have like a project in the hopper Mm -hmm. i feel like like she would always have stuff that she's like well i want to do that next Mm -hmm. she doesn't really have that she thought about adapting alice munro's runaway a short story okay uh which she never got off the ground. Uh, she thought about adapting the novel The Flamethrowers, which was a big... Those are Rachel both great choices for her. Monroe and The Flamethrowers. I know. Like, like that like, kind of... Um, the Flamethrowers is what is set in, like, revolutionary 70s Italy, right? And well, like, sort of. And, and also, the, the like, the really, really desolate American West because it's, like, these motorcycle races. Right, right, right. Yeah. Seems cool. It's in the hands of Scott Rudin. Which may be why it never came together. Now, Safe hands. Got, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, of course, then she goes on to do Top of the Lake. I think we may have forgotten to mention that. Did we mention that Anna Paquin was supposed to play that role? I don't I think forgot we about did. Because I remember that the thing that happened was that show was supposed to be funded by the Australian Broadcasting yes. Corporation. And then when Paquin pulled out, I think because of True Blood or something. Yeah. And was replaced with Elizabeth Moss. They pulled out because they were like, she's not Australian. Yes. Uh, so like the BBC came in or what you know like anyway. That's well, fine. it's yeah. I, 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 there's a part of me that wonders because uh, Power of the Dog was partially financed by the New Zealand Film Commission. If like Thomas and Mackenzie being in it in a role that at this point is smaller than like her stature in her career, 
is sort of a like favor of like we need to get X amount of New Zealand, sure, Australian actors in supporting roles in order to get financing. Because yes, very right. often these grants from countries you can't just film there, you can't just be a director from there. You also need to be employing not just uh, behind the scenes but on camera uh, locals. Do you think they were upset that Cody Smith McPhee is from space? <laughs> uh. Richard, are you top of the lake, pro, con? Have you seen them? I saw all of the first season. I, yes. had, I only saw a little China Girl. Um, top of the lake was, again, because I had that campaign mm-hmm. blockage from like age 10, the Pelican Brief affair. Um, I was like, oh, this is going to be some dirge. And that, but that show is great. I Incredible. mean, you know, yeah. and I had issues, again, with accent work. I was like, oh, is Elizabeth Moss doing this right? And Australian Fred says it's the best he's ever heard an American do an Australian wow. accent. Um, to your yeah, it's a great him. show and it, it again like she you loved it yeah I love it yeah I think it's maybe the best thing she's ever done but but yeah I mean it's funny that it's like Paquin's supposed to do Top of the Lake which obviously would have been powerful to see them reteam in that sort of way I'd, I mean I'd still love to see adult Paquin do something with Campion again yeah but the final seasons of True Blood were way better than anything Jane Campion would ever make so Jane it was worth should it. have just taken over the last <laughs> what, season what of True Blood how dare you <laughs> I'm trying I don't know being a southern vampire um it's okay Suki, Suki. I recap that show. Till the bitter end. No, I eventually got to drop it. Got really the 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 final season and final episode are among the worst television ever made. (laughs) I really want to do bad things to you. Remember True Blood? True Blood (laughs) kind of kept HBO going in that post Sopranos. My roommate was a True Blood fanatic for all of those years. Yes, it was the thing. It's an enjoyably wacky show, even though, yes, it completely went off the rails. Like I did, you know, that Alan Ball thing where you're like, I don't know, go off, King. And then you're like, cease going off. (laughs) Come back in. Come in, King. But it also, it it gave us a lot. It gave us Skarsgård, you know. It Uh kept kept Michelle Forbes working for a year or two, you know. Just the year. She was a main ad. That's right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Drysdale like- has referred to Michelle Forbes as that actor who always gets added to the fourth season of a TV <laughs> she show. You're watching. Swing yeah. in. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Hey, she's first season on the killing. The killing. So, okay. Remember the killing. Okay. Uh, but but my I, all I was gonna say here, I don't know if this is where you were going with this, but it it's like Paquin hands off to Moss. Moss was supposed to do this movie. Interesting. She'd probably be good. Yeah. It was supposed to be Moss and Paul Dano. Oh, both I'm glad logical that didn't pieces of casting. But right. but absolutely like. Uh, upgrade. Uh, yeah. these, I, the two actors we got are better fit for it, and there's so much you get. Once again, just smart casting. You have so much work done for you by the fact that they are a real couple. I feel like so often when you put real couples on screen, it's that very vulnerable thing where you're like, they don't have that much chemistry. Oh, is that like a bad? Mm-hmm, is that a bad mm-hmm. sign? Or it's like they just want to play up like the fucking sexual magnetism of the two of them. The very easy comfort the two of them have with each other and the intimacy they have with each other helps this movie get their entire relationship set up in like three minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's so natural that it's yes. just like um, it, you, there's no you. I mean, it sounds corny, but like you kind of forget that they're acting. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. Um, I just want to say the campion felt doing those top of the lake seasons, even though season two doesn't go over as well. Yeah. Helped change the perception of her. Uh, in it, positively, sure. Like she thought it was good. It was good for me, and she says the atmosphere has changed. I really feel like I've reached granny level. Don't be rude to granny. Mm. You know, system is respects your longevity in the industry. I feel that. So I, you know, whatever. It's certainly, the most watched thing she's done since piano has to be. Has to be. And when she brought China Girl to Cannes, 
Um, she was seen at many a party by myself with my own dropping eyes. it like a ton. Oh, just dancing like a maniac. I mean, really, J Dog oh, dropping. Oh, she it. really dances. She she like every party I've ever Cubby seen. Cubby can't tell us this as well that she's a fucking dance machine. Yeah, that's her thing. She's party monster. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she also, as we know, uh, in in this interim, uh, uh, chaired the 2014 can jury. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Gave the Palm Door to Winter Sleep, mm-hmm. which put me to Winter Sleep. Hey, David, I was supposed to see that movie, the first movie at Cannes, I because I, I arrived after the festival had already started, and we got to the Airbnb, and they were. I was like, "Do I now want to watch a three-hour movie called Winter Sleep?" And I said, "No." Yeah. So, <laughs> thus began my great tradition of not seeing the Palm Door winter when I'm at Cannes by accident. Um, beyond all, did you not see Titan? Titan. No, I did see Titan, and I didn't like it. Ooh. Um. She considers retiring after Top of the Lake, but then she reads this book mm-hmm. by Thomas Savage that was like a critically acclaimed book when it came out, but right. has not not a well-remembered book, has fallen out of print. Yeah, when did it come out? 67. I'd never heard of it. And he was like a gay author, queer author, like, mm-hmm. right. that, like and it was like... It's seen as like... It must like, have been kind of bold for that to be published at, at the time, given the subject matter. It's right. semi-autobiographical from the perspective and of... Right? All, yeah. Yes, and all he wrote, I think, were mostly what he wrote were Westerns and like were about for right. sure. life and all that. Um, it's I think it's an acknowledged influence on Brokeback Mountain, the story. Interesting. Like, any pro- yeah. Uh, but... Uh, it got reprinted sometime in the 2000s, and Campion's stepmother, Judith, sent her the book. Mm-hmm. Just they, they are always apparently sending each other books. She reads it, and not in this way of, like, I'm looking for a project. She sure. just reads it. Yeah. And is like, I fucking love this book. Uh, let's see. What most impressed me was Thomas Savage had lived on a ranch, that this was his life. This was not a romantic vision of the West. Mm-hmm. He had moved to a ranch with his mother, which is the story that he's telling in the book. Right. And the brother of the man that his mother married was this talented chess player who went to Yale and was a mean bully. Like, it's so clearly, yes, this is inspired by real life. Mm-hmm. Pretty fascinating. Pretty fascinating. Uh, and so she just can't put this book away. Uh, she finds out that some Canadian guy owns the uh, rights to it. She reads, oh my God, this, whoa, whoa. Okay, it was JJ Jim, and, Jim Carrey. Huh? <laughs> um, Apparently, it's Gerard Depardieu's favorite novel, okay. and that is why this Canadian guy had bought the rights. He read that in an interview, and he's like, "Gerard loves this novel. Are the rights available? Like, so I want to make bought it, with it as a play of like, right? Okay, gotcha." Apparently, at one point, Paul. At what knew, point? It, it, in time does that happen? I think we're talking like the late eighties, like okay. early. 90s. At one point, Paul Newman was attached to play Phil. <sighs> kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Um. And they meet, she meets this Canadian guy. His name is um, Roger Frapier. Okay. Is he credited in this? Yeah, he is. He's a credited producer on this movie. And they meet at Cannes. And he's basically, she's basically like, come on, man. Like, top of, you know, let me do it. I'm top of the lake right now. I'm top of the lake right now. They get the funding together. Uh, Budget apparently is about $30 million. Her most expensive film to date. Wow. And, um, you know. She she just wanted to recreate the thrilling, shocking experience she had reading it. They they shot this during the pandemic, obviously, because the, the in we're, we're living in the forever pandemic. Right, but, or in New Zealand. Uh, in New Zealand. Yeah. They didn't start shooting before the pandemic, right? It was a project that was like, 
getting ready to go, pandemic hits, and then they sort of wait out when it feels vaguely safe no. to film? Or did they, they, they film a little bit? They started shooting okay, January 2020, okay. and production was halted in March. I'm seeing here because of the pandemic of the novel coronavirus. The novel coronavirus. Interesting. And then production resumed in June okay, uh, and concluded in July. So, you know. I, I mean, yeah. it's we're at, I think, the tail end of this. He and Cumberbatch was uh, in character and refused to speak to Dunst on set. Wow. They, they were, you know, I was going to say, I think we're at the tail end of it now, mm. but it has been interesting. And probably six months from now, we'll be fully uh, out of these. But movies that had unplanned six month breaks in the middle of shooting. Yeah. Right. That, is, that it's weird a very specific unique phenomenon. Right. Where it's like this movie, fucking Nightmare Alley. Mm -hmm. Jackass Forever. Batman is like one of the last big ones that had that effect. The last day of the card counter? The last day. day of the card counter. I would love counter. to know, if I ever interview Schrader, I'm like, what's the one day? Like, what's yeah. what's in this movie that you had to shoot after oh, right. a fucking six-month break It was so funny. Just like, the fingers. When he was like, just let me do it! Yeah, his Facebook <laughs> on, like, March 12th. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, give me God the fucking down. It must be really hard to get back into that mood yeah. or yes. filming. I mean, I, That's why I find it so fascinating. There's that one. I mean, this is not exactly related, but um, remember the show Rome, the HBO show? Yes. So they built this, you know, ancient Roman street set. How long did it take? In, like a in day? like Chinechita or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Okay. That was good. Well done. You. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you flipped me fiber up. for you. <laughs> Comedy flipped um, fiber. They uh, were about to start filming or something. And then this like huge storm blew through Rome. Uh -huh. And they were like, oh my God, like we were, the set we just finished building, it, it's destroyed. And they went back, but it was like, like grass had started poking up through the oh, things and they were better. like wait this better. is perfect right, yeah. right. so I wonder if in some sense it's like maybe sometimes this six month COVID break helps or, that's but I don't why know maybe I, not that's why I, I think it's interesting I it's hard to quantify but some films I do get the sense of like this might have helped them the perspective yeah, the distance, maybe the right. Time maybe to reset you in the middle look all at that the script stuff. and you're like wait why are we doing this right like, and, and other yeah, movies yeah. less so but I'm surprised this doesn't feel like I couldn't remember which one it was but this from doesn't feel like a movie that had for what it seems like when I'm reading yeah. it it seems like most of the exteriors were done and most of the stuff they did okay. post break were interiors on on, on like um sets in Auckland mm. the so, exact opposite of how you would want things to go during a pandemic right. but also New Zealand was it was a fairly, infamously the single safest right. place to right. film right getting back to her viewing the, the Annie Pruel she talks to Annie Pruel mm. uh the author of Brokeback Mountain yes about uh, like Phil's homosexuality and how to reveal it, like mm -hmm. how much to get into it. Because I think it's a lot more coded in the book novel. Yes. In the book, she yeah. says it's sly. Right. But there are muscle men magazines and obviously yeah. Bronco Henry. Uh, there was a big dis discussion over Bronco Henry. Would we have any images? He's this mm -hmm. powerful ghost. I made this rule. No flashbacks. We'll move chronologically. Yeah. It gives an audience a sense of security when they can, you know, what they can get to know, what they can't flashbacks she, she i totally the right call no, no joke intended if they had ever shown bronco henry bronco henry in this movie it would lose 25 percent of its power i think so i it would have been cool to see him in the sky at night you know what that I mean? would yeah. be if the clouds formed <laughs> yeah. into his head <laughs> yeah that would be kind of cool <laughs> i so like the uh, bronco henry obviously has a lot of uh, 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 meme value, right? People really took to the Bronco Henry idea the moment this movie hit Netflix. I find Bronco Henry so funny. It's one of those things where any times it, it's referenced 
I find myself giggling, even yeah. when it's referenced in the movie or conversation or whatever. And I was trying to think, like, what is it that's so inherently funny about Bronco Henry to me? And then I realized it's the Bill Brasky thing. It's Bill uh, Brasky. Yes. Yeah. It's it, Bill it Brasky. Is. It's yeah. the idea yeah. of just, like, mm-hmm. there's something about this name that's just, like, Bronco, Bronco Henry. Henry. once jumped a horse right. over a bar or whatever, right. and right. you're like, okay. And, 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 just, and that he feels yeah. so abstract that you're like, here's this, like, fucking bullish name yeah. that everyone keeps on fucking talking up. And in your mind, you can't reconcile what this person would look like or how he would behave. <laughs> I mean, but, like, virtual characters like that are incredible. Like, yes. I mean, Beckett would tell you, you know, obviously. Like, um... But I think it works so well in this yeah. because the more you hear this ridiculous name right. and these exploits that yeah. like, who knows? Because it's all these younger guys being like, tell us another tale yeah. of Bronco Henry. Who knows if it's real? Right. right. But like, it just makes Phil look, you know, he starts, let's say 40 and then he's 32. And then by the end of the Bronco Henry stories, he, he's like an eight-year-old boy, you know? That's the other or, thing or, of or, the or Bill Brasky effect, you know? which it's like, the more they talk about him, the more these people seem kind of pathetic. Yeah. Where you're like, why do they idolize this fucking guy so And it's much? also not to Their be- whole existence is based around, they can't stop talking about fucking Bill Brasky. It's also deeply un-butch in a way. Yes. Like, like, Like this obsession with this like cool guy from the past, you know, like- right. like Especially, I, right, you're talking about it's nature out there. It's hard to tame right. it or like no one can do it except for Bronco Henry, <laughs> obviously, who is 18 feet tall. Like it, it, it really feels like a lot <laughs> like, of- Like it's just yeah. like, okay- yeah. A lot of the anecdotes could be followed. Then why don't you marry him? You right. Know? Exactly. Right. Right. If yeah. Bronco Henry told you to fucking eat yeah. anthrax, would you do it? Well, yeah, yeah, I yeah. would. I mean, also, just the way Phil is like, George, remember what we were doing earlier? And George is like, what? Oh, I don't rightly know. He's like, we were hanging out with Bronco Henry for crying out loud. Like, he only wants to tell the one story. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's really like... <laughs> It's really like Tony Soprano waxing nostalgic about the old days. Sure. You know, but wrong silent yeah, type. And then, you know, Bronco Henry narrating from a gravestone, you know, right. in, the, in the prequel for right. or the for this movie. Which but I'm you're saying, wondering but, yeah. how I ended up here. Me, hey, Bronco, it's me Henry. Bronco Henry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry if I sound funny. Yeah. My neck's a little sore. <laughs> yeah. I just Can I say I not, the, the, there is such a huge spoiler at the beginning of that movie. Which movie? Many Saints of Newark. Oh, Many Saints. Sure. Yeah. I was so excited to watch that, right? I go to see that in theaters. I'm loving it. I get home. I turn on HBO Max. I'm like, they already have a spinoff series. And I know this is this thing they've been planning on doing of like, oh, we'll do an HBO Max Batman series and the Dune series or whatever. But then I watch the show and I'm just like, well, this fuck, you've spoiled the thing. Yeah. I know where this. should have gone to get a drink planning. while you did that. <laughs> <laughs> should have gone taking a walk around the block. My bit was I genuinely saw Many Saints of Newark in theaters without ever having watched you an did. episode of this. You, you because were the I, one. <laughs> I said to you, I want to do it Phantom Podcast style. Anyway, I want to tell this. I, JJ is Ernest. I mean, one thing is Jane Campion, combo of being incredibly smart and cool uh-huh. in interviews and just being old and, and sure. like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. So she, apparently while she's writing this film, she has crazy dreams about it being on a big black horse. And so she goes to a dream analyst and like gets into her head and like yeah. is like, this was such a great process analyzing my fears. And so she makes Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch do it too. She's like, you're going to go to a dream analyst. Yeah. And Cumberbatch is like, but Jane Campion's dreams are rich in imagery. They're sexual and fantastical and spiritual exploding orchids of blood. And I'm dreaming about like not being able to climb a tree. He's like, sure. my dreams are boring. <laughs> Like, I'm a dumb actor. Is this the longest uh, research dossier? Yeah, it's 24 pages long. 
I mean, I, I can't do it all, but it, there is so yeah. much good stuff in there. I think JJ kind of likes to top himself sometimes. He does. I mean, he was he was posting, he was like doing like victory laps on Twitter about the fact that he'd broken this one to chapters. <laughs> yeah. Well, much like the movie. I, well, Bronco Henry used to like to top himself too. Hey. <laughs> That's just one of the many amazing things that man could do. It's so, truly every time we mention him by name, I start like <laughs> Bronco Henry. I made a Bronco Henry joke um, when we're recording this. The Oscar nominations came out yesterday about the in memoriam having Bronco Henry in it because I found <laughs> I found a photo of a of a of a metallic blue mannequin head that's wearing a cowboy hat with um, a crocheted like dick and balls on it. <laughs> right, rip. I'm supposed to be writing a magazine piece like with a really short turnaround time and I'm just like giggling in my apartment about Bronco Henry <laughs> months so after seeing the movie. Bronco but once it, Henry. It's, this is the thing. It's like Bill Brasky where it's like you can say anything about it. It's just, yeah. You can assign yeah. any visual descriptor onto him. If she like cast Nick Nolte but he's not in the movie. <laughs> right. He was just on set right. like yeah. sort of glowering at people. Yeah. Like Matthew like, Broderick in the Christmas story where he's just standing there staring but no one can see him. I don't right. know if you ever watched that. Right. You're just like, so were his scenes cut out? No, no, no. He was nope. never even written mm-hmm. to the script. Nope. We, he wasn't even on set. We just had to, he stayed at home and we told people just know Nick Nolte is playing Bronco. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Here's some other yeah. things she did. So they gathered the actors for th- weeks to hike, okay. to improvise, not really rehearse, but like do exercises. I'll say that's a value to starting production before the pandemic. Because yeah. once the pandemic starts, that's that true. shit you All can't that fucking stuff do. has to be cut, essentially. Right. 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 But uh, they ate together, they cooked together, mm. they would sit in rooms together in character, not talking. She had Cumberbatch write a letter to to Bronco Henry. Wow. She had Cumberbatch write a letter from Bronco Henry back to Phil. Wow. She had Cumberbatch and Plemons waltz together to learn intimately how they smelled, felt, and moved. <laughs> because she was like, you guys have been in it for 25 years. You need to be like, yeah. like that. Um, pretty cool. Pretty and then cool. she goes to Montana to see Savage's ranch, I think thinking maybe we'll shoot here and was like, it's too modern. There's like infrastructure. There's oil there. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't, it's not going to work. And so she's like, let's shoot it in New Zealand. Like, you know, yeah. cause it's, it's these incredible mountains. It looks like a fantasy. Which ended up being a, a very, very uh, beneficial move in retrospect. Completely They, they had more shooting freedom than most productions that started up again during oh, yeah. this. Yeah. 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 Um, it doesn't feel... You know, it's funny. I I I I, re- I watched "Marry Me" last night, the Jennifer Lopez so Owen Wilson. I'm jealous, and that was filmed before the pandemic. Should I be jealous? No, I, it's interesting. It, okay. It's it's, it's a basically good been stripped of any possible comedy because Jennifer Lopez can never have the joke be on her. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, it's fun though. Yeah, oh, in, it's, in an odd. Sort I like that it exists, but it's and nice it's gentle. And, yes, sure. right. It, it's nice and glossy, and it was like the big right. thing was like, oh, it was it was filmed before the pandemic, so they could do more. But "Power of the Dog" looks like more of a pre-pandemic movie than. Yeah, and like something that was actually shot before. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's like I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's camping, I get but shooting all the exteriors before the pandemic is interesting. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, to get everyone excited about coming back, actually, you guys are talking about this break that they took. Mm. They cut together like a sizzle reel of everything they'd shot already, just to kind of get everyone excited, which oh, is sort cool. of a cool that's idea. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. This is the thing, and I've heard this from other people who mm. are trying to make movies. He is a green light. Yeah. And like, I think some people would be surprised to hear that because it's sort of like, eh, you know, does everyone know who he is? But it's like because of Doctor Strange and his general ubiquity, every studio is like green. You have Benedict Cumberbatch right. on board. You get financed. 
Yeah, it. right. With a certain cap, I would I would guess on sure, the finance. But like, what? Yeah. What? there's another massive budget movie that he was supposed to be in that he ended up not being in. But the minute he was cast, the studio was like, "Yep, you what, got it." What movie was that? I don't want to say it on mic, but I'll say it off mic. Oh, Later. interesting. Okay. Um, but like, uh, I was uh, just sort of, I was yeah. like, really, Cumberbatch, and it's like, yeah, man, it's that Marvel thing. I, I think, I think there are a couple other things. And Sherlock, and yeah, I was yeah, gonna say, Oscar right, Dom like and, Sherlock, like, streaming, television being sort of global. I think that did a lot for him. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we forget that Imitation Game made a hundred million dollars domestic. Yeah, right. They well, are I mean, the man on it to film. Richard and I were most of that. We just kept going back, <laughs> going back. It's like Titanic. But I would walk out before the final titles card. Right. I don't want to know what they're called now. Yeah. <laughs> I <don't>. can't tell <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but yes, no, I think that's a movie that actually really kind of boosted his budget because, uh, look, the Marvel thing is the Marvel thing, right? But I think not every Marvel actor maybe has a media green light power to that degree. I think the fact that he was able to take like an Oscar Beatty movie and make a crossover in addition to him being this, like, global TV star right. that he's big in, like, every country. Um, no one looks like him. No one looks no. like him. He's, <laughs> he's certainly unique. No one sounds like him. No, what not was, really. Yeah. What was the fucking thing? Oh, God. Why am I forgetting this now? There was I was watching some thing with Romilly where she was like, who's that actor? And I was like, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, who do you think it is? And I right. couldn't believe that she didn't immediately recognize him. But now I can't even. He's not a chameleon Nick actor. I'll say this for his looks. I was in Telluride where um, this movie played uh, last Labor Day, and he was there. Um, we were like an outdoor event, and I met him, and he was wearing jeans, a white t shirt, a baseball cap, and had scruff, like mm. hadn't shaved in a few days. Gorgeous, by the way. But like, did kind of look a little bit more like like he he might actually be capable, but he just mm-hmm. hasn't done mm-hmm. it. Sure, because that's not how the industry thinks of him or whatever. It was No Way Home. Uh, Romley and I went oh, right. and sure. saw No Way Home, which she's seen like no other Marvel movies. Right. And she showed up well, and she's playing Who's that Strange? actor. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> which is, that's why. That's why it was so funny because the most extreme example of that. But but this is a weird thing I was thinking about. Like he has more value because the stuff he's done outside of Marvel has also been successful commercially sure. and crossed over, right? right? Current war, obviously. Huge hit. Um, which means I think things like the current war, but also what was that fucking movie that came out early, last year that was like him as a spy or some shit? The Courier. Like, not just is he a green light for big budget shit, studio shit, whatever, but it's like those kinds of like $20 million adult dramas that don't yeah. really get made anymore. Yeah. If you want to get one made, you kind of need him in it. He's well, he a made good, five he estate movies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yes. I've only seen the fifth one, but. It's a franchise. But the thing I was going to say about him and, and just the phenomenon of casting like a Marvel actor in your smaller movie, your art house movie, your yeah. indie movie, your drama, your whatever. Is that like so much of the value is you're going to get so much free publicity mm-hmm. by sending those actors out to do any sort of press mm-hmm. tour or festivals. And then they will get hit by the questions about the upcoming Marvel movie sure. and people scourging for any spoiler or secret. And then that getting recirculated to the high heavens. Uh, it's curious- funny that that's so much of the like getting an actor on like a late night talk show doesn't really fucking move the needle or a magazine cover, any of those things. The cachet is just, while you're promoting your smaller movie, do you have a bigger movie upcoming that interviewers will try to sneak in questions and any offhand mention you make will go viral on Twitter? Right. 
I'm curious how how far you think that extends for people in the MCU. Like, like, is that true for Elizabeth Olsen? I mean, maybe now after WandaVision, but like, you know what I mean? Because there's so many actors involved, yes. but I feel like Cumberbatch has the Marvel thing, but also he has like the nerdy Tumblr fan people from yes. oh, Sherlock. Like, that's a whole other concern. There's a weird, you know? the, right. There's a weird sort of like mix of Cumberbatch elements that add to his value, right? Where you're like right. this weird fucking like heartthrob status. What's super hulak? Isn't that a term from Tumblr fan really? fiction? Where it's yes, supernatural and Sherlock fan fiction? Well, Super Hulak is... Just, and Doctor Who, obviously. Yeah, that is just the general term for what that dominated vibe. Tumblr at the time. Right, the right, sort sure. of engine of that kind of fandom in like around 2010. Yeah. Those three shows. To have that and Marvel fandom, which are right, distinct things, right. is fascinating. Right, and then also sort of highbrow, like legitimate actor sort of... Sure, yeah, absolutely. Right. His name is Sticky, too. He's got a oh, good fully. name. You don't forget. I feel the like th- the name is kind of a, a part of it a little bit too because like, I, I just, I don't know. I somehow have always known his name. Are we Same. talking about Bronco Henry now? <laughs> yeah. But this okay. is also yeah. when, when my yeah. fucking sister turns to me and goes, who's that actor? I had this moment of glee where I'm like, I get to now say Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing, there's the funniest right. punchline. It's like saying the Aristocrats <laughs> or something, yeah. you know, where yeah. you're just like, I almost said Aristocat. One, I mentioned how methody he was. and He yeah. was Phil on set and all sure. that. He said that he refused to wash for a while to try and, and then he was so stinky that you like couldn't take him anywhere. This like, is one of those movies where you feel like you can smell it. He's, yeah. He's pretty gross. Like when, when yeah. Clement tells him to take a bath and then he's kind of like, you cut to the river, like back yeah. to Phil, just see that you're like, God, he must. Yeah. It is really <laughs> interesting to watch someone of Cumberbatch's stature, like in terms of like, he's a big franchise actor. Mm-hmm. He's a respected, you know, uh, like the British thespian kind of guy sure. to just do a role like this that is just routinely so embarrassing. Yes. Like it's not, it's not like the actual Marble Man tough guy. It's right. that, that's embarrassing approximation of it. And it's just like, I think that's really brave in a way. Like not, there yeah. aren't a lot of marquee movie stars who would be willing to do that. No. And, and who are uh, unique enough in their whole energy, their look, their demeanor, what have you. That them doing these things has its own unique power. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I, I think Chris Evans is somewhat underrated as an actor, mm-hmm. but he is such a Kendall. Yeah. That it's like it's not as sort of fascinating as it is watching Benedict Cumberbatch put a beard and a cowboy hat on and then dance around with a bandana and like, you know? Right. Right, exactly, yeah. Because I think with Evans, it would be like, oh, he's doing dress up, but you know, whatever. Right, like, right. Here, there's actually like, I don't know, there's something different happening, something more happening. Yes, yes, and it is, he he seems very unafraid to do things that other actors could find embarrassing and in a poorly mm-hmm. executed movie would become like the shit of fucking Twitter legend. Like, it would just be like, Right, like how many everyone like, would joke about this fucking scene? Can you imagine what he does? Right, like like how many big like what few like bankable movie stars are left would like do like the tough cowboy role that where people keep talking about how much he smells and it's like pathetic, right? You know? Right, like, that's right. Not, that's smell, not common. Like smelling mean. No. Like th- like there's no ego involved there, which is not necessarily a quality that I would have put on him before seeing this movie. Great Clemens quote here. Apparently, uh-huh. at one point he was he's in character. He mm-hmm. called Clemens big boy. Instead of Fatso, which okay. I think Fatso was in the script. Yeah. And Plemons was like, that really got under my skin. Uh, I feel, feel like a few people in my life have been like, hey, big boy. And I was like, God damn it, what the fuck? So, like, I like that Plemons admits yeah. that, like, that little tweak he does was, like, found its way through the armor or whatever. Yeah. 
it just seems like he's really good at playing someone who can look at you mm-hmm. and kind of figure out what your vulnerability is. Because that's what Phil is good at. Yeah. You well, know, cause, that's, cause he's, that's cause his he's intelligence. Old, he's a work. catty old queen. He is. He's a yeah. mean fucking roommate. As yeah. Fran, a former guest from, from Best Future Guest, yeah. said, like, this is a movie about having a bad roommate. Yeah. It's, well, yeah. this is also uh, Sarah Violet Bliss, Passive Future Guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, did our Sweetie episode. Hadn't seen Power of the Dog yet. Right. Watched it about a week or two after we recorded. And texted me and said, like, there are a lot of similarities between that and Sweetie, right? Like, they're both sort of, like, bad roommate family member comes in, disrupts the balance of the house. Uh, Right. And just that simmering tension of just, like, the the alliances shifting, what's going to go wrong here? Like, knowing there's some tragic end coming. Um... Yeah, it's... God, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. But but that, that is... That's a Cumberbatch value you get in this movie, which is few actors project intelligence more consistently right. than him. Right. That. Right. 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 And, and it's something about like it is annoying. Like the in kind of intelligence is, yeah. that could craft a Turing machine. But something like this, you just go like, when he's at the beginning, he's just sort of playing tough ranch or whatever. You're like, he's too smart and intellectual for this. Mm-hmm. And then once you start to realize that scene where they like, where who is it? Carradine, the governor, mm-hmm. says Carradine. like, I heard your brother. Uh, he he uh, studied the classics, right? And, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, And you're just like the first time watching, I was like, Who are they wait, talking I'm about? Exactly. Right. Right. Like what? Exactly. Like, it really is good. right. And then from that moment on, you're just like, oh, it's all a chess game for him. He actually is paying attention to everything that's going on. That's what's so brilliant about the directly sort of chronological approach to. The fact that George, George is not one to drop exposition, Jesse Plemons, yes. right? So, right, like, when someone says something like that to him, you're genuinely surprised right. about, like, about his brother. You're like, Phil's his brother. Phil, but Phil's like a mean old rancher. Bronco Henry's a friend. Like, right. wait, what do you mean he went to Yale? Stuff like that. Like, the way she layers in exposition without it ever feeling that way, or layers in new dimensions. Mm-hmm. to The same thing with creepy little Cody. Peter, mm-hmm. yeah, we got we got to talk more about Cody. when he gets yeah. the bunny. Yeah, and I'm like, right, because this is like a sweet, sensitive kid. And then, like, pretty much the next scene mm. is him dissecting the bunny. Yeah, yeah. And Thomas and Mackenzie is like horrified. Right. And I'm horrified, but then I'm also like, the kid lives on. A, why am I horrified by this? Like, right. he lives on a ranch. Like, he's, animals are being killed every day. I don't yeah. know why this is upsetting me. And isn't but he a medical student? Like, you know, yeah, right, he yeah. wants to. Be, but then there is something about the precision of what he's doing that you're yeah. like, this is kind of unsettling that he knew exactly how to do this. And let and his, his mom bond with it. Yes. Yes. And then did it, knowing He's, he was going to do it all yeah, the while. Right. Yeah. And, and that whole scene is so good, too, where he comes in and she's in bed. With he that. hides the bottle under the yeah. pillow. Yeah. Yeah. There was someone I was talking to. I can't remember who. And uh, I'm Bronco not putting him on blast. And I also just can't remember who it was. I'm sorry? Bronco Henry? The best talker there ever was. Did I ever tell you about the time I talked <laughs> to Bronco talked Henry? He talked right off and on. <laughs> he he come back on he here. He talked to horse dead once. <laughs> I just hold on one second. His way through a mountain. Yes. What? Happened? Deadline saying that Spotify just signed a two hundred million dollar deal with Bronco Henry. Oh, no. He's gonna take over podcasting. Rogan is running for the hills. Complete creative control. No censorship. Bronco Henry. You know Bronco Henry invented the phrase "lock the gates." <laughs> it was just stolen from him because he didn't have a podcast until now. Right. Marin. He was just Marin. Like, when yeah. Marin bathes himself in the lake, yeah. he, then he'll draw Henry's handkerchief <laughs> the, the over his face. Yep. Uh, Bronco Henry was the best at locking gates I ever saw, though. No one could lock a gate like Bronco Henry. Come on, Blaine. Um, 
the, the thing I was going to say, someone I was talking to was like, I was a little confused by, by the Dunst character because it feels like she's got her shit together and then like the presence of Cumberbatch just like completely unravels her, right? Right. And I think, watching it a second time, A, I think this movie uses sort of like uh, ellipses and jumps in time Mm -hmm. very interestingly, which is a thing I think she does in a lot of her work. Right, where you suddenly are like, wait, has a day passed or six months? Right. Right. In the way that like most of the Plemons dunce courtship happens off screen, we see these two kind of very quiet moments. He mentions offhandedly that they've gotten married. Yeah. Right, and we yeah. just we miss the wedding, we miss the progression of their relationship. Rock and have him reofficiate him. It, it feels like it goes from being a flirtation to I'm telling you, we've been. She's married. moving in, right? Yeah. Exactly. Was, yeah. what, did he have a, a wife already or something? No, no. he's been think, too busy. Being I think he was a perpetual man. bachelor, right. and um, without going to, he's deep like a sad into, sack. Like, he's like a Marty. I I have family, older family members, uh, one of whom is no longer alive for whom that was true. And I think one of them was kind of a closet case and the other one married late in life. Right. Mm-hmm. And it destroyed the, the, the other brother. Right, because who, that, sure. that was the because partnership. The brothers, Phil's right. assumption is, well, he's what like my brother's like late. I mean, in 1925, like late thirties and not yeah. married. Like I'm in the clear. He's and never a, and a fatso, quote yeah. yeah. Right. And then but you have the success is yeah. what causes him to be attractive in a way, right? Like the success they built up with. This, right. Yeah. You know. And then you have the devastating line that Phil doesn't hear but probably feels it anyway when Plemons says to uh, Rose, it's so good to not be alone anymore. It's right. But you have man. your brother, yeah. Yeah, but he doesn't yeah. think of him that way. You well, know? it's also that, like, fucking Phil is, like, negging him all the time. Like, Phil is just yeah. constantly, and he's like... he's the worst party guest. Like, right, they go mocking to the, him, treating you know, him like shit. Yeah. And, like, you know, Plemons... What's George's character name? Yeah. yeah. Is... is Clearly a very sensitive guy and a thoughtful guy and intellectual guy, even if he's not good at expressing himself. And he's just like completely abandoned. It's like, you know, uh, Phil playing this like mind game and then he's surrounded by a bunch of boys. Like the other fucking cowboys in the group are just like young boyish hooligans. And very cleverly painted as that. You know, there is that one scene where George walks into the barn and uh, Phil is like, doing some rope or some saddle shit mm-hmm. with one of the cowboys whose name we don't know. And there's a look that it passes between them where he's like, again, you know, right. I, I don't know if that's necessarily supposed to be happening. Right. But like George knows he is fully not of that. Like that, right. that's, that's Phil's business and his company. And, but, but yeah. they're not right. They're not company for him. And his relationship with Phil is like this business agreement yeah. and the familial ties but Phil is just constantly trying to fucking keep him in check. Like, it does feel like Phil is very aware of the fact that he has to threaten George's masculinity in order to get George to be completely beholden to him, right? Right. Uh, so I think there's part of the mind game of just being like, you can't fucking marry anyone, you fat piece of shit. So the yeah. second he meets a woman, I mean, Phil's response is that sort of like, what, what is this about? Is this about getting laid? You don't have to marry some old lady if you want to get laid. Yeah, I, I, I'll say I think that there's something, you know, my my coming out experience was was obviously <laughs> I wasn't it wasn't in 1925 Montana. But like there if you have a close male friend, mm-hmm. if you're a gay kid, a boy, um, I'm sure this is true for other people as well. Like there is a resentment then can, that can sort of blurt out. Um, when you realize that for straight people, not not for every individual, it's, it's just, easy. You can just slip sure. like this weird, you know, kind of overweight bachelor who lives in his cr- like this weird Crimson Peak mansion. Like 
No, he can get married. Like he can he can find a lady in town. Yeah. And that's that. And and Phil knows that like for him it's pretty much impossible because the one person he could do that with is dead. Like I just think there's something really like keenly observed about that. Well, th- yeah. yes, and that's why he sort of terrorizes Dunst is that it's like she represents the thing that he cannot have. You know, and he throws the like you're an interloper, you're just trying to steal money. Right. He doesn't really believe that. Right. He's just mad that she's there at all and he's trying to like but he's trying to create a re- a public reason for why he wouldn't like her that's like socially acceptable, right. which is that he's suspicious of her. There's right. that. I Phil th- could not make a home with someone he loved. Right. I do think he correctly sees in her that she is a sad and vulnerable person. Yeah. Now, obviously... He preys on weakness because... Right. He, he decides to just jab at that. Right. Right. But like, he, he could be nice to her. What he if could. the movie was about him being nice to her? Welcome to my home. <laughs> make yourself comfortable. <laughs> Marry me. <laughs> Do you want to play the banjo? Yeah. <laughs> like, but uh, like, obviously, like there are moments where you're like, they might have things in common, of especially course. if he's this more well-read. You know, like right. Uh, now I want Hallie Meyer Shire's power to talk. <laughs> nice boy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like three nice boys, <laughs> and like one of the boys is a huge Bronco Henry fan, and it's like, wait, we your did? dad yeah. knew yeah. Bronco yeah. Henry? Yeah. yeah. That'd be good. Um, Candace Bergen's in it. Your Bronco yeah. Henry's daughter. <laughs> some more, some more. So uh, on Cumberbatch's last day of filming, his last shot uh-huh. when shooting when the when the when when camping called cut, uh, the lights came on. The cast, uh, the casting crew, all popped champagne and started playing Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah wow. because they were so happy that he would not be in character anymore. Hell. They were oh, basically whoa. like saying goodbye to Phil. And saying hello to Benedict. Benedict Cumberbatch said he was very embarrassed. Another thing about Dunst, she would sit in silence for hours before filming because she's like, Rose can't vocalize how she feels. And I wanted to like get in that mind. Her performance is really good. Yeah. Okay. So to circle back. I would say uh, gets better every time I see it. And I liked it a lot. I mean, look, watching this a second time, my thought was I can't wait to watch this a third time because it's clearly a movie that's just going to keep unfolding and there's so much in every single scene. very watchable movie very for a movie watchable. that's quite serious and dramatic and sad. Yeah. Like, well, like every time I throw it on, I'm but like, but it's Hell that yeah, this thing up. where she just identifies some weird energy in every scene that's not what you expect and you can't quite put your finger on, whether it's a performance thing or whatever it is. But um, th- th- this not a straw person a friend of mine who said the thing about the dunce performance, right? I'm like, uh, a-, a through the ellipses of time, we don't know to what degree he's actually fucking with her, right? Right, right. So, like, I'm not saying there are worse things off screen that we're not seeing, but the pervasiveness of it is perhaps only reflected to us in a couple key moments. Right. Where it's like, the banjo thing is just sort of, like, weird and eerie and certainly annoying. And I think to some people they go like, well, and then she starts, like, binge drinking the next day, and it's like, we are left to infer whether that has happened for 30 consecutive nights. Right. Yeah, and and, and also could be she the kid's is, whole school year. You know, it could be right. a long time. Exactly know? right. He's gone for a long ass yeah. time, and she is just a fragile person in general. She's a vulnerable person in general. The fact that Cody Schmidt McPhee uh, pushes the bottle away shows you that this is a thing she's had a pattern of doing in the past. She is a widow. Like there are just, you know, that, she she is together at the beginning of the film, but when you're watching it a second time, you are aware of the fact that she is like made out of porcelain. Like she is absolutely. just so delicate. I think that's one reason Phil resents her so much because yes. he sees himself in that, right? His well, own. He's, he's lashing out of vulnerability. Because that right. great monologue he has near the end after she's given away the hides, where yeah. he's like, she was drunk, pie eyed. Like he's right. like screaming. You're like, this is 
really an intense reaction to something that's not a big She's deal. She's the worst combination that A, right. she represents the, the sort of happy domestic life that he could never live himself, yeah. right? That his brother has access to and it's quote unquote easy. And B, she's just like an open wound. Right. Yeah, and I think he and also... And both of those things like, are chill, to him. chill. You're not supposed to... You're right. supposed to lock it all away. <laughs> right. Yeah. When he first meets her, there are little moments where she is showing tendernesses toward her fey, strange yes. son. Right. With a, with a scowl on her face, taking the flowers back off the table after he lights a cigarette with yeah. one. And she's clearly supportive of him having him come to the ranch. And I think yeah. that, like, he's envious of that kind of attentive care from a mother figure that he probably we can glean from his relationship with his mm-hmm. mother that we like doesn't have and yeah she and she she represents care in a way that he's never felt and yet over the course of the movie she starts to fall apart and starts kind of facing the wrong direction i mean she thinks yeah. that phil is going to turn her son into him into this right. like yes. hardened asshole but actually they're sharing something much deeper and unspoken that she doesn't and, really and, and i think that phil kind of sees that as her pie-eyed and whatever fucked right. up that like this woman he thought from a distance maybe actually was like one of the good ones no she's just as clueless as the rest but i know? think there's another aspect too which is that uh to some degree, you know, everything in his life is so uh, aggressively constructed, constructed and weaponized, right? That, like, whatever jealousy he feels of the fact that Cody is being treated with a sensitivity that he could not get from his mother as a child, uh, that perhaps is also a sign of a world slowly becoming more and more modern, uh, you know, and th- that resentment. There is also the fact that I think, and this is indicated by the fact that he, like, after mocking the kid so thoroughly when he gets an opening, decides to so completely take him under his wing and be like, I'm going to fucking teach you how to be a man. Where I think he thinks it's almost a little bit irresponsible that Dunst isn't like slapping in the back of the head and going like, toughen up. Oh, you're going to parade this kid in front of all these cowboys? You can't do that. If she's not going to help you, I'm going to help you. He's bragging about his paper flowers to them? Like, basically, yeah. How fucking on on, Or the the sort of sense of shock you feel in the scene where he's like, oh, no, sir, I made them, you know, like, and it's like, Jesus, kid, what are you doing? Right. You you can maybe do this in New Haven, but like, (laughs) you know, not here. What do you guys think of Cody Smith McPhee as Peter? The fourth performance. We haven't talked about it much yet. Okay, so just parallel for a second because we didn't talk about it in the episode and I, I can't believe we didn't talk about it because I think it's one of the masterstrokes of that movie. Mm. But Bright Star has the end credit sequence where you just have Wishaw reading Keats poems Absolutely. over the titles, which is just like an incredible thing I feel like I haven't seen movies ASMR do practically. Yeah. Right? You're just tingling. But also you're so used to end credit sequences having just like the score playing. And <clears throat> bloopers. I expected bloopers. Bright Star to have some bloopers. I was a little yeah. upset yeah. that it didn't actually. Right. Yeah. Or if characters are talking in credits, it's usually in a jokey way like that. To in a drama... Sure. Have a character's voice stay with you in the end credits is interesting. She comes in the bonnets on the wrong way around. This this movie has the opposite thing, which is mm-hmm. it doesn't have a narrator, but just this opening passage over the opening credits, yeah. you have his voice disassociated, mm-hmm. and then you enter into the film. And like I'd completely forgotten that was the opening. The first time I watched it, I did not clock. And then as you say, the I, second time you watch it, you're like, oh shit! I didn't realize he's the movie telling started you, with saying I'm going to kill someone to protect right, my mother. Right? Yeah. 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 It's like so upfront, mm-hmm. but then yes, then one of the first. I mean, you see the guys and they're fucking wrestling, whatever. And then one of the first images you see after sort of just like Western tough guy miscellanea is the hyper close up of the flower. 
this like amazing artistry. I mean, it's like it was impressive. It's so yeah. cool. Right. Yeah. And then once you cut out Wyatt to this kid, you're like, he, he doesn't stand a fucking chance. Right. Especially because Cody Smith McVee is this sort of thin, odd, kind of angular. And he worked, I think, with like uh, a coach just sort of, you know, he's sort sure. of stooped over a little bit. He's got like sort of a funny posture. Ichabod Crane kind of. He's got the yeah. lisp, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. You you are being a bit of a Phil Burbank where you're like, don't say that in front of Phil Burbank. I barely met this guy, but I know you shouldn't be talking about flowers in front of he's him. Well, like, yeah. He's like, so wine drips. Tall. He's so, like, he looks like Beaker from the Muppets. Like, he's just he a, a line. Have you seen Young uh, Slow West? No. Oh, yeah. It's great. I feel like most people haven't. Richard yeah. has. Yeah. And I kept bringing it up to people where I'm like, this is a fairly, he gives a fairly similar performance in mm-hmm. that movie, but no one saw it. It's so. a really good little movie. It is a good movie. Um, I recommend but it. But I think, you know, the, 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 yeah, the, the discomfort you feel about, or the sort of, frustration you feel watching this kid just talk to people in a way that a certain that he really should not be you know for right. his own safety or whatever it, you know it's like i probably do it less now that i'm you know a, a full adult but like when you're growing up and you have you know a more effeminate voice or whatever mm-hmm. like you do learn to code switch a little bit sure. and i find myself if i'm going to buy jewel pods at the the, the little smoke shop down the street from my apartment hey you know hey can i get a whatever you know i'm not that's not actually what it is but, you know, and 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 the frustration that Phil feels, he's like, oh, you know, oh, little baby twink, you, you don't know the ways of the world. This right. is not you can't get by this way. And he's right. But that there therein is the critique of the whole society that they're living in. Yes. But but in the immediate terms, like Phil is in a strange way toward the end, kind of trying to protect him. Those scenes yeah. are very arresting. Those yeah. are the, the sort of back third of the movie yeah, where right. they're going out together. Which is what probably gets... Cody the Oscar I mean we're like all in agreement we're talking before the record it's that but it's also the re- the final reversal gets in the it's, Oscar it's right? the usual suspect thing suspects where thing. you're just like A he you he kind of owns the last 30-40 minutes of the movie right so you walk out of it really like thinking about him the most and then the ending reframes his character so much. It kind of had the wool over your eye. Right. That kind of thing of like, oh shit, this character was like operating. But it's in a way funny that, I wasn't that like about. Spacey gets so much credit for the walk. Who? Kevin Spacey. Will you let me be frank for one minute? Can I be oh. frank for one minute? On he the shouldn't podcast? get any credit for the walk. Robert, Robert Zemeckis directed that movie. I'm sorry. He shouldn't get any credit for the walk. Robert Zemeckis directed that movie. It's what I said. <laughs> I'm going to flip you <laughs> proud one comment. <laughs> You take in the five, you yeah. tear off the strip. Tunk. <laughs> uh, the walk at the end of the usual right. suspect. That, that so he has the out. scene yeah. Yeah. with the reveal where you watch this physical transformation. Mm. And I think people overstate the, the fucking that moment as an actor where it's like, oh, the whole guy, you realize the whole time. It's the fucking hammer blow of that moment, sure. right? Yeah. Cody doesn't even have a scene like that. No. It, it's really just that like, your perception of him changes and there's no you scene start, where then he does his fucking monologue you or you see him have a totally different demeanor. You everything replay. he was doing in the movie. That's what's fascinating about him now becoming this Oscar front runner is it's just a performance that like gains power the moment it ends when you then replay yeah. the scenes in your mind. Because even having watched the movie three times, I still can't determine where when he decides no. to do it. No, he's right. inscrutable. Yeah. Because, because there is an unavoidable you know, a factor involved where where the the, the Native Americans come and and get, and she Rose gives them the skins that like the hides. Like he couldn't have planned for that. No, but it 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 it, it come, works to his advantage because then he can be like, oh Phil, I have this. You know, yeah. It's it's it's, it's rec- such an opaque performance like, yes. in a good way. Yes, that it's weird that it would win you know an Oscar. But, but he's so compelling and he's so odd. And as a certain of it, look, 
when he, I, I like him a lot as an actor. He, of course, is my beloved Paranorman. I think a very underrated voice Norman, performance. Right. He is Paranorman. Right? Yeah. Uh, but he was like, you know, he was, The Road was obviously like kind of his breakout thing. He's in Planet of the Apes, right? He, Dawn? He's in Dawn. He's in yeah. the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's very good in that. Yeah, uh, he was supposed to play young Wolverine in X-Men Origins Wolverine and then didn't right. uh, for some reason. Is it Troy Sivan? Yes. No, yeah. he's in it, but I can't remember if he, he might, it might be. I think he's young. Wolverine. I think it's Troy Sivan. Um, um, do right. you think Asa Butterfield is like just torn up about all yeah, this? Absolutely yes. fucking so. Well, right. Asa Butterfield was trying to stretch himself to Cody. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, he did try to kill Ben Cumberbatch just to yes, prove it. Yes, Troy Sivan. You are absolutely. Wow. Uh, and of course, the, eventually that means he can play Nightcrawler. Is what it is. Right. right. You know right. what I mean? Which I thought he was a very good Nightcrawler. And I Nightcrawler, was, one of my favorite characters. I love Nightcrawler. Yeah. And I yeah. thought yeah, the thing about it is like I had always thought of him more as this kind of a performer. Sure odd kind of yeah. muted and in nightcrawler i remember him being fairly like jovial and sweet and that's you know, but yeah, that's like, the yeah. that's the balance of nightcrawler which i love is that it, he's so self-loathing and uncomfortable but then he massive in defensive humor he's cute in dolomite is my name he's like one of yes. the film crew guys in that but i, I, mean, I you know i will say this like that's a movie where he showed up and i was like huh that's what he looks like now sure because his his it's just physically he is so striking he mm. is so odd and that's a movie where like he's very sweet he plays just sort of like normal like positive energy film nerd kid and right. all of that but when he shows up in this you're like that's a really good way to use the way that guy looks on camera and as you said richard like when he is showing so little tact for how to interact with this rowdy group of macho men in the opening of the film, not knowing that he shouldn't brag about the flowers. Like, not only should he not put them out, not only should he not admit that he made them, he also shouldn't give them any more information beyond that. And he should avoid S's and not say it's for drips. You know, like, you know, like all this stuff. And Don't I'm, say drips. Like, obviously, like, we want a world where he can do whatever and be whoever he right. is. But like in these narrow confines, like, come on, like, be we little, joked about yeah. this on our We Bought a Zoo episode 87 years ago. But where you're like, the fact that, that movie is called We Bought a Zoo makes it so hard to defend because it's like the kid showing up at school gets picked on wearing the worst T-shirt. And you're just like. Change. Why'd you wear the t-shirt? Yeah. Don't wear the shirt. Right. Right. Yeah. I know you like it, but you yeah. have to understand. Like when my, my friends in high school, be they want to play Magic Gathering, I'd be like, right, yes, but yes, I was allowed to play sports. <laughs> but that's why even watching it second, third times, like I find that the, the Dunst, Clemens, Cumberbatch performances unfold for me in different ways on a second viewing. Uh, Cody remains totally elusive. And the lack of self-awareness in that opening scene makes it so hard to believe that he can actually be in control of his surroundings at any point in the film. And gauging when that happens is hard. I, I think you kind of have to at least allow the possibility that, like, he knows and doesn't care. And when, right. he, when he has that scene much later with Phil where he says that his father called him strong and Phil's like, what? And you're like, no, he is, though, right. in his yeah. way. And Phil is so flummoxed by that because it is this decidedly un-cowboy stoicism kind of strength. That's and, and, how he's defeated, right? Yeah. He cannot see this kid as he can't uh, see him coming. equal. Yeah. He's, he's coming, developed right. an alternative form of strength. I mean, right, this is right, why right. he has weaponized his critical thinking skills into forms of defense, um, right? And viewed that way, the scene in the restaurant is like that kid like being the strongest person in the room. Right. Like, Absolutely. no, I'm going to say whatever I'm going to say. I'm going to tell you I made these flowers. I don't care. Right. The only you know? problem is... Laugh at me, I'll poison you. Fuck his you. mother. 
Like, right, you know, the, right. uh, the, that's the thing. It sort of, you know, it splashes onto her, yeah. even though he is, does seem kind of impervious. And weirdly her. leads to all everything happening because right. it's how George ingratiates himself to her. And yeah. See, this is the thing with this fucking movie. You can zoom in on any one scene, unpack it for two hours. Yeah. Like just fi- examining the, the dynamics comb. and trying to understand the intentions of people. The way he uses the comb, you know, how he's like, yeah. he'll like drag his yeah. thumb across the teeth and it like annoy. And you're like, oh, is this like anxiety? Like, is this like a coping thing for him? Yeah. And Cody Smith McPhee was like, that's how I want you to think about it. But I think about it as his methodically thinking through step by step what he's thinking he's going to do next. Like, that's what I wanted the comb to be. That's cool. Mm. It's pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, it is. It is just kind of funny that he's probably going to win. And he's a very good actor. He's a good body of work. But I don't think has been thought of in that like well clearly this is one of the greatest the young talents. actors yeah he's very respected he works constantly he's he works. worked in all he's sorts good. of different things yeah. but i feel like he was never on those lists even like compared to someone like as a butterfield who just like started as a kid and was fucking like running the table and all these guys and then was earmarked for spider-man and mm. you know uh yeah yeah it's 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 a very very fascinating performance i, I mean i wonder where he goes after this yeah you know um because you're like you want to grab him and just go like cody whatever you do don't play a bond villain like don't right yeah, do, don't, yeah. don't do the easy things that are gonna yeah. lie right. at you playing villains and right yeah that's don't that's yeah don't sure. be some sort of you know Weird nerds. mark of, yeah. of, of of a movie's unsettling you know, like some like you know right. prestige horror movie you know like or right, if yeah. you're gonna do it do the domino gleason thing where you work a lot so you can do you can balance like it. that but you do right. other stuff too. right because like I feel like that's what Donald Gleason was smart about. He was like, yeah, yes. sure, I'll play a villain. I'll play a weirdo. Right. But I'll also play a romantic lead. I'll play Sweetie Pies. I'll yeah. play About Time or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's in that, right? That's him. Yeah, that's him. My mm-hmm. dad. Um, that's a great movie. Johnny Greenwood did the score to this film. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. It, it, watching this movie with captions, mm-hmm. my favorite part is just in brackets, uneasy music <laughs> yeah, <hell laughs> over yeah. and over again. Now, I mean, I'm not wrong that uh, there will be blood was his first score, right? I like his first movie score. Think you're right. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, yes, it was. Apart from that thing, and then he song, did Encanto, and then this, right? <laughs> we don't talk about Bronco Henry. We don't talk about Bronco. <laughs> um, he talks about us though. But uh, he talks I, about us better than anyone. I remember. Oh, I, I like talked about like this. It is a profound cinema memory for me. Sitting, in, I was in the Phoenix Theater. Yeah. Is where I saw There Will Be Blood. And like, you know, it, it that opening shot of just the landscape yes. and the music's like, and I was just like, the fuck is going on? Is it broken? Like, just like completely squirming in my seat. Yeah. I love his score so much. I love that he'll kind of vanish for a few years because he doesn't need the money. Sure. He's not a working composer in that way. Yeah. He's in this band called Radiohead. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he'll just pop back in and do the Spencer and Dog score this yeah. year. And you're like, these are both like distinctive and wonderful pieces of music. Was there a third score this year or was it just those just two? Just those two. Okay. I mean, you know, the thing he did before that, his most underrated score, obviously the Phantom Thread score is incredible, but the You Were Never Really Here score is so good. Like, you need to tell me that. I know. Which I think was just him emptying metal cans down a staircase, but it's incredible. But then there's there's the main piano theme in that yeah. movie, which then they replay on strings and whatever. Uh I listen to that score all the fucking time. It, it's, a, it's a little bit of a jangly listen if you're just taking the, a walk. But but I'm saying, there, I, no, there, I'm is, there are right. these incredibly romantic tracks on it in between the ones that sound like metal machine music. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. He's I, probably going to win an Oscar too, right? I mean, I hate I, to predict I, this movie winning all these Oscars. That they would, yeah, God, well. no. But here's what's funny about it is you're like, she feels kind of unbeatable for director, right? Cody probably so. has it by default. 
And then you're so. like, she probably wins screenplay. But then in all these other categories, and, and then you're like, there's a very good chance it wins Best Picture. It would be sort of considered the odds-on favorite at this point. But then the other categories where I'm like, well, Will Smith probably has it locked up unless Dog is so unstoppable that they give it to Cumberbatch. Ariana DeBose mm. probably has it locked up unless Dog is so unstoppable that they give it to Dunst. Like, yeah. I also think it's the number two in a bunch of categories. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a, cons- it's a consensus favorite, which is funny because it's a very distinct film. Yeah. But it makes sense. Well, I mean, you know, this is such a trite thing to say, but it's like, you know, when, when I saw Power of the Dog, you know, back last summer, like, we were, everyone was so excited because it was like, oh, finally something for Kirsten Dunst. It's mm-hmm. definitely going to be her first nomination. She could easily win. Yeah. You know, we knew dimly that West Side Story was out there and that Anita is a role that, mm-hmm. you know, is kind of hard to argue with in terms of, a, you know, winning an award. But like, it's just so silly that they're even being thrown into comparison. I mean, like, it, it, it's yes. just a like different yes. fucking thing. It, totally you know? different thing. Totally and different like, thing. And that's no fault of Dunst or whatever. It's, you know, it's just that like, I think that they will want to spread the wealth and like they want to yeah. give something to West Side Story yeah, and that's I think an so. easy one. And just as they, you know, they could, you know, maybe go director, go, go to somebody else, but I don't think so. I, I will say this to Dunst's credit. I mean this entirely as a compliment to her. Th- there is a version of this role where other actresses could have played it and had an easier walk to winning an Oscar by blowing out some of the breakdown scenes. And I think it is to Dunst's credit and the performance and the film will age better because of it that she doesn't go for the huge fucking Oscar clip. And it's a very, very well-observed, specific, humanly rendered portrayal of this person rather than the the overly dramatic Oscar version of it. I'm realizing... The third thing Greenwood worked on was Licorice Pizza, which I believe he has some brief involvement with. Oh, right? He composed yes. one piece of music for it. Right. Just real. Sorry. I, right. I, I yeah. No, I knew there was another one. Yeah. I yeah. think there's like, it's, it's like most five obvious. minutes. Of, right. right. Yeah. Um, he made all the waterbeds. Uh, <laughs> he had the hose. Um, ben, you haven't talked. You like dog. Yeah. I mean, I could have used more quiet attention. You know, not enough. <laughs> not enough for me. Too many Tension hijinks. Too loud. Yeah. 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 Exactly. A little too loose. A little That's too loud. The thing. It was yeah. loud. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Loud I had to turn yeah. the the tension button down <laughs> yeah. on my remote. Yeah. Or up. I guess I wanted. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, what do I want to say about it? I, I mean, are know. we at the end of the episode? I mean, We're not winding really. Down. We're winding down. Okay. Do you want me to refer to my notes, please? Please. Okay. Ben's taking out a notepad. Um. <clears throat> okay. Smoking in bed when he's listening to them mm. kind of have their first Fumbling night, sex. their yeah, first yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. slumber yeah. party. Yeah. Uh, that is a like a really cinematic moment of peeping. <laughs> yeah. I never know what he's going to say. Me neither. And, and to think he was just going to let that go unsaid. He had it written down on a notepad. And if you hadn't asked him. I wasn't setting him up. I had no idea. We he had, had no idea. No you never know. He didn't have the energy of call on me. I have something no, to say. I was just kind of realizing like Ben's been quiet. Yeah. Um, peeping of the ears. It's a good point. We mm-hmm. rarely think of the peep of the ears. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, you know, historically, I would say there's probably a lot of that going on. I mean, the walls are thin. There's not that much going on. Not no. A lot of other noise. Well, right. that older maid is definitely, you know, peeped, Genevieve peeped. Lemon. Yeah. Sweetie. Sweetie herself. 
Yep. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. And another thing I'm Thomas know. McKenzie. Obviously, we haven't even mentioned yeah. her, but she's in it. I assume just to work with Jane Campion. And, and it was a New Zealand. It was a school assignment. Absolutely. She had to. She was sent there by her teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Now you have to go be in Jane Campion's movie. Aww. Work study. <laughs> oh, rats. Okay, Ben, note number two on the notepad. She uh, tells a story that is, you know, very era appropriate. It's like a fable mm-hmm. um, about the coffin with the hair oh, the growing. hair full of hair. There's yes. something about that yeah. was so striking to me. It's such an, uh, like a side. I don't know how it would necessarily relate. It's maybe, gray only got... at the end. Well, no. It, well, they, right. It's yeah, gray only yeah, at the end. Yeah. That was just a moment that to Eerie me. dream it, thing. Yeah. yeah I, I, it's just like, there's so much dense. The, it, her films are so dense. There's so much going on that mm-hmm. even just that little moment, I don't even know what it says about well, the story. Look, the title itself. You're watching the whole movie and you're like, why the fuck is this thing called Power of the Dog? Someone's not looking at the shadows in the mountains. This is my point. And that that that's this bonding moment for him. Where Such he a like, huge Cumberbatch right. plays that so well. You too. see the dog too, right? Yeah, yeah. Where he's like, "Did you? Did someone tell you? Like, you yeah. know, like, yeah." That that that. I mean, obviously, it's a biblical verse. Uh, Deliver my sword from the soul, my precious life from the power of the dogs. I don't know my Bible. I don't really know. Or my darling in in the film. Yeah, right. Which um, is meant not in like a romantic. Sure, it's a different. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's from the Psalms. Uh, what does it mean, though? I don't it, know. It means basically it's kind of protection uh, he, he, from he deli- oppressors he, and enemies. Right. Phil is deeming this necessary. He has to get, I mean, sorry, not Phil. Peter yeah. has to get rid of Phil to protect but his like, mother. But like, I think there's also stuff about inner demons and closeted things, you know, like, let me kind of destroy the thing in me that's, that's you know, mm-hmm. hounding me. Um, Let me destroy in others what I, I believe. The song is like, he's asking God. To yeah, him. and I right. do think that the final couple of shots, you know, from from that him reading the psalm to the end, like, I mean, maybe I'm totally off base, but I'm like, I think that George needs to be a little worried. Uh, you know, hmm. I don't know that this kid is done protecting well, there's, his mother. There's you know? this sort of implication, and and he mentions this that in the book. This is not implied, but in the movie, you do kind of have this weird suspicion of like, wait, did he kill his dad too? Like, sure. is yeah. that which they were like, we intentionally did not want right. to right. speak to Engage that, but we also that. kind of do let it be a thought you might have. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. well, what is this? Yeah, right. Where where, where does this? I don't think that it's like a movie about like the birth of a serial killer. I no. think it's just that like this kid like maybe has a pretty a too intense read on like protection also, and like you know slippery right slope once you kill one perfect crime yeah yeah anthrax yeah nailed and it I, I think jane just likes a bone boy like uh, from what yeah. we've seen with you know there's that prominent character on top of the lake mm-hmm. who, who's got a lot of wishbones bones don't right. lie right bones never yeah. lie um, bones never lie sorry and then yeah similar with this character he has a prominent human skull yes in his mm-hmm. room mm-hmm Another thing I love is that he's uh, he's such a good draftsman. When he's dissecting the rabbit, I mean, that scene's so fascinating because she, she's like, I brought the carrot, and he's like, leave. And he's not even doing the, like, get out! Right. He's just he's like, just like you're not going to make it to this, leave. Yeah. And she's like, I want to give him the carrot. And he's like, uh, he doesn't want the carrot. There's no interest. And then when she walks up, there's no, like, sort of, like, you got me. There's right. no or sort like of, like, trying to hide it. Yeah. Right, there's that weird element of, like, why aren't you reacting to me catching you doing this? And then he just very calmly goes back to his drawing of it, which is so well done. Yeah. That, ugh, that's another thing I love is the early glimpse we see of Phil diarying and how good his penmanship is. It's and you're such like, a good little clue. Right, because you're just yeah. like, that yeah. feels weird that this guy would he, journal. When he writes in the, um, the let alone that he would the have guest book at the restaurant. Yes. And it says like shitty bourbon or whatever. Right. And it's like, wait, he like where did he go to finishing school? Right, like, yeah. Right. 
Uh, sorry, Ben, you were saying. Uh, Plemons fits good the hats. Nice the sort hats. of nice yeah. big wide hats. His like this this like the suits, the mm-hmm. air appropriate suits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is looking like a fucking snack. Wow. Clemens wow. is looking really good. Ben wants good. to chow down. Wow. I want to chow down. Yeah. Call Ben Kiki Dunst. He's hungry. I'm hungry. I have a funny Clemens se- uh, snack story that I'll tell you off here. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, drawing rabbit. Drawing. I don't know. Okay. Oh, and all right. The handkerchief work. What did we think of it? So obviously we haven't really talked about Phil's stash. It's yeah. a, it, His it, muscle magazines. Which Bronco Henry wrote. His name on yeah that, that old son of a bitch property of Bronco Henry. You know, I used to be the chief critic for Physique World, <laughs> but they folded. It know. is such a funny thing to think about, like in a in a, a pre sort of like openly pornographic industry that there'd be things where it's like, no, I just buy magazines the where human I form. admire the human form. <laughs> right. It's it's a nudist yeah. journal or whatever. And, you know, and, like and, people would and, have, and it's funny that like there were that like. Even back then, people were like, no, we know what it's for. Yeah, like, right. There was no we're, hiding We're going to, like, pretend it's not. But, right. Like, right. We're not making these so people can, like, admire, like, people's, you know, the anatomy, basically. But you're like, yeah. what are the articles like in those? Because, obviously, everyone who buys them knows what they're buying. <laughs> short right. stories. It was a good, you know, we, we had a good yeah, time. Yeah, Drew and Capote. And, yeah, you know. we were proud. Everyone oh, who's oh, buying them. There would always, them. There would always be a Roz Chast cartoon. <laughs> yeah, of course. She, oh, she's so funny. Yeah. They know what they're getting, right? And then <laughs> I feel like people. I'm going crazy looking yeah. at this butt. But I then I, I left because everyone signed this letter about cancel culture, and I was like, it was just... Well, they also did, like, they pivoted to video, right? That was the other thing they did. Yeah, so Jim Jim Feller from Geo Media bought bought us and yeah, and ben, then we all we all had to move to L.A. and so we, right, had, we right. took buyouts. It was, yeah, it was, they wouldn't yeah. they wouldn't give you yeah, right. and that, which coincidentally happened right after the unionization. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, like it was immediately they're yeah. telling you, oh, you move to L.A., no relocation costs, or you lose your job. Uh, ben, sorry, no, it's okay. There was a moment there watching the movie where I thought when um, the Native American. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, father, son, mm-hmm. they have a box. I was like, are they like, where is the, is this movie about to be like them reckoning with the porn that was found in the woods? Oh, wow. Like, that's yeah. what yeah. I truly yeah. thought yeah. was about to happen there for a moment. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that wasn't the case. The power of the Do mags. we think that w- so? But I've, that's vintage porn in the woods. Like, my that's fi- the oldest porn in th- the woods th- I've seen. It's like yeah. finding yeah. your Woo. dad's Playboys or whatever, but Woo. it's yeah, it's woods so, porn. M- my yeah. question is: so there's a scene where uh, Phil catches uh, the kid, mm-hmm. uh, look like where he's bathing or whatever, and then he chases after him, whatever, and then shortly thereafter, Phil decides to kind of change his tack and be like, "We started on the wrong foot," whatever. Do you think there's any vague thing? That like maybe Phil knows that he found the porn. Yes. Phil's afraid because yeah. he chases him away. Right. Like you yeah. said, like yeah. he's afraid he'll in that, like, he would never admit to being afraid that his quote unquote right. secret will be revealed. Right. But, but I guess he's just yeah. like, maybe I should Better stop. to have him close by. Right. And now, do you think that don't you think though, if you put porn in the woods, you kind of want someone to find it? Like, isn't that kind of part of it? Well, he's not hiding it very like clearly. Everyone's you know? looking no, at me. But it is. <laughs> But it is far away. Well, you like, have it, a bag in your apartment that it says it's woods porn and it's full <laughs> and it's sitting by the door. So. Okay, so you got it, me. That's isn't true. the principle of the woods porn kind of a, a take a penny, leave a penny thing that it's like if you're of the age that you sure. can buy the porn, you give it back to the woods so that the next generation can it's have It's like a lending porn. library. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I, right. But it's one reason he's so dirty. 
Like when he's going out to that lake, he's like letting off the pressure valve, right? Like uh-huh. so, like it's like sort of a special place for him. He can't this go is there my, that often. Yeah, sure. this is my parents are gone for the day. <laughs> right, right. Kind of, yeah. Uh, and those bathing scenes are so again, again, the first time you're watching, it, you're like, what? Should I be looking for here? You know what I mean? Well, some of those, I mean, the well, first time I was watching, little, I heard about the pecker on, and I yeah. didn't catch it this time. I was eagle eyed. Um, it like uh, flaps up. It does flap up. He he's scrubs kinda, and it does a scrub. flap up to the to the belly button almost. Yeah. No, yeah. you're not wrong that that is what Benedict Cumberbatch's penis does in the film. But it's, it's also flap up. <laughs> it's also just like right in those scenes where like it's so quiet. Yeah. Like n- this doesn't seem plot. Centric, like, why am I seeing him bathe all of a well, sudden? Well, you're sort of like, is this indulgent, tender? like, cinematic poetry sort of right. shit? Is she just giving me is nature shots? sort of right. getting in touch with the earth? Right. Rooney Mara discovering carpeting for the first time in Song to Song. Um, Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, she doesn't know what a window or a rug is apparently because she's just like, what is Yeah, anyway, <laughs> I want to do Malik. Yeah. We should do him. We should do him. There was a great movie at Sundance called uh, You Won't, Won't Be, Be Alone, Alone that, yeah. that people are unfavorably comparing to Malik, which I think is unfair, but I, 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 like think, it's, I think it's a nice homage to him. I also, have, I like Malik. anytime a movie is compared to Malik, I'm like, yeah, I'll see that. Sure, sure. That's why you're going to see Dog with me. Yeah. Um, I saw, I took my dad to see Jackass and he was just like flummoxed during the dog trailer. Like every other trailer, he was like, this looks like the worst thing I've ever seen. He kept on saying that to like four consecutive trailers what in a row. What did uh, uh, what's it called? Uncharted. The, the Dave Grohl movie, Uncharted, of course, nailed right. it. Uh, the Dave Grohl uh, haunted the uh, fucking album recording movie, right. Northman. Uh, th- they didn't play Northman. Um, God, I mean, it was like two more things like Uncharted that I are mean, coming out soon. Lost City. Uh, Lost City. Yes, that yes. Looks good. He was very down. I, I said, I think I'm this excited. looks charming. You went really. Uh, Batman. He had no response to. Mm-hmm. But then the dog trailer came up, and he was just like, "What is this dog?" Yeah, it's dog. not even really clear like what it's about. Dog, dog. It's just about dog. Dog. The poster has a really annoying tagline. Can do you have it handy? To, I'm trying to find it. Written, arf, directed arf, by Channing Tatum. So it's not about dog the bounty hunter. It's not about nope. dog the bounty hunter. Here is the poster's tagline: Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. And then there's a picture of him sitting in a pick by a pickup truck, and there's a dog in there too. And the tagline is: A filthy animal, unfit for human company. And oh uh, boy, oh boy, dog. Isn't oh it, yeah, dog, isn't that dog, just dog, 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 and feels really like dated. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the movie is. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's a prequel to Alex Garland's film Men, which is coming out uh, next. Oh, good. I don't know. Um. Anyway. Anyway. One last grace note on Jane Campion, who we are wrapping up here. Unless Ben has any more notes. Uh, what's this? Okay, yeah. What did you guys think mm-hmm. of the of- film? I liked it. Yeah, very you good. Did. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Thought it was oh, good. okay. All right. Well, then, should we just stop recording? Yeah. No, 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 no. Carry on. Oh, okay. Carry on. Um, what did y'all think of the significance of the mother giving the rings to Kirsten's character at the funeral? Hmm. I could not figure that out. I'm assuming it's his, and I. This is my guess. Like that, she was like he. Tr- he was such a monster to you that here you go. I I think that might be some of it. Yeah, right, some sympathy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think she might also maybe see in her the faintest possibility of grandchildren, and so she's trying. You know, like like trying like, to bridge like, the gap. Like, that's the weird thing is that Phil. I think kind of despite his irascibility was. Cl- 
I think the favorite of the yes. parents, yeah. you know, or the, the kind of golden, you know, because like, he's the smart one. And, right? and yeah. I think that like now that he's gone, she's like, I have to turn somewhere else. And like, right. OK, that makes sense. You know? too. Yeah. yeah, right. I think I think she was still holding out hope that Phil would like continue the lineage at some point. Yeah. You know, for sure. Yeah. He's impressive. And when the freaking governor comes over with his wife, he's like, I want to meet this guy. Yeah. I keep hearing about it. And it's implied that the, the that Phil's mom, that she and Bronco Henry were like roommates in New York City, right? And they had two wacky friends. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Richard? Clink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Five. Oh. Wow. Ben, anything else? No, that's it. No, the notes are done. I just want to say, well, we're, do- we're done with Campion. We will be doing China Girl. We haven't released, uh, recorded that sure. episode yet. So I suppose we'll have one more dip. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're wrapping One up more dip in the lake. A, a with very the fun miniseries. Oh, very fun. So fun. Yeah. Uh, the next thing she says she's doing is starting a pop-up film school in New Zealand. She's going to have 10 students that she teaches movies to, movie making to, mm-hmm. with Netflix's support. I cool. guess they gave her money uh, to do this. Um, I am always for She's basically like, Netflix I'm full of wisdom, you know? Spending money on anything like that. Right. Totally. To sort of like mitigate the yep. other stuff but i mean she's she's 67 For every red notice there must be a film school run by jane it's carbon neutral yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's exactly. she's 67 years old like she uh-huh. could absolutely make more movies but she does always sort of seem like someone who's like well when something feels good yeah. I'll, I'll be interested right like it's not like she's like i'm sure. about to go work on x yeah but it'll be very interesting to see what she does after this you know, the depressing Absolutely. stat that was getting thrown around uh, yesterday at the Second, time we were recording The first this. one we nominated for two directing Oscars. Ever. Well, I don't know why people are shocked by this. It was like five it's total. Not, right? It's not yeah. shocking, but yeah. it, it does make you realize that so often it was the exact arc she has where it's like you make this breakthrough and then they go like, fuck, is this going to be the first female director who builds like a body of work that is held up in the pantheon right. by, you know, the literati at the time? And what often happens is, like, Sofia Coppola, everyone turns on Marie Antoinette, and then the next couple are just like, I don't know, is that, like, the, you know, and, like, we are all in this room people who like Sofia Coppola's movies, Mm. but she has never returned to the heights of Lost in Translation much in the same way that, like, uh, with the crossover to the general public and the Oscars and all that sort of shit, much in the same way that, like, Piano cast this incredibly large shadow over her, you know, over Campion's career. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and even Bigelow, in this weird sense, yeah. post Oscar, has struggled to like figure out. I mean, Zero Dark Thirty, you felt was like, okay, huge, like, right? She, and she, she just, got like, it. but she didn't get nominated for she it. She didn't, I know, which bizarre. was, you know, I mean, that was a weird year. Yeah, and then Detroit just completely destroyed. Her. Right, and now it, she hasn't made a movie in five years. Like, she should make another movie. She should, but yes, it's that. It's that point. It's like th- that was the one that was surprising was Bigelow not getting the Zero Dark Thirty nomination, yeah. and then I would also say uh, Gerwig not getting the Little Women nomination was a little yeah. absurd. Yeah. Uh, that, Dude, was yeah. the Bigelow thing that the worm had turned a little bit in, in terms of like the the pushback against the torture stuff? Yeah, yeah that movie, yeah. That movie went, just went from such a fucking lightning brief yeah. favorite yeah. to I feel like slightly, and it obviously was a box office success, but then it was slightly on the downswing when people were voting. It was a huge hit, but it felt like the controversy around the movie supercharged its box office at the same time as it killed its Oscar chances. Yeah. Because it did feel like there were two weeks there where you were like, is this going to win picture director? Well, Ch- and is, Chastain won the Globe. Is Chastain going to win the actress? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then it all dissipated. I don't know. That's a movie we've already spent two hours talking about. Right. Episode. I mean, you know, Gerwig missed that nomination, but like it was Bong Joon-ho, Tarantino, Scorsese, Sam Mendes for 1917. Sure. 
and Todd Phillips for a movie called Retired Bit. Don't know that one. Right, that's the one I was hoping. But, but obviously that movie made a billion dollars. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously there was a Bradley reason. Cooper's got... Retired Bit, the one he produced. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, but no, it's very exciting. Obviously, she got another nomination. I agree with you, Griffin. She could yeah. probably do whatever she wanted right yes. now. I just have no idea if yeah, she's probably waiting for something that intrigues. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Curious to see what it is. Do we want to do rankings here? Or do well, we want to do them in the China Girl episode? No, I think we should do them here because this is dropping after the China Girl episode. Fair oh, no, you know what? It's not. Oh, China Girl is actually dropping six days, five days later. So save it. Okay, I mean Save it'll be it. on the Patreon. That's the only thing. Do people will people oh, be mad yeah. that we paywall people our rankings? I've got a ranking. This is I'm going to say this. This is the hardest ranking I've ever done. Interesting. Now, can I, I just say something? You can people say be mad. I'm Online. really glad you said that. This is another thing my dad said to me the other Life. day. We went to see Jackass. He was like, "Do you feel like everyone's just like really mad these days?" So every time I pick up the phone, I think someone's angry. Pete's got, Pete's got the pulse of the nation right he's, now. He's pretty tapped yeah. in. I yeah. thought it was a pretty striking insight from my father. Do you guys not consider this movie to have box office? I was about to ask about that. Unreported? It's it it's unreported, obviously. Even for the theatricals. Yeah. Like because it wasn't it like yeah. I have scenes or they, I guess yeah, they don't but have Netflix to just it. four walls. It just, they just the, don't. They yeah. just don't report box office. Right, but. and and like with Red Notice and shit, they'll like sort of talk about it. Or I guess right. it's playing in enough theaters that those theaters individually report Can stuff report and they it. get a rough estimate. Yeah, but like something like this, there's no fucking reportable number. The right? only yeah. the thing is, we can do the box office game for the week it came out, but we did just do it because it's the same weekend as Benedetta. Well, then never mind. Yeah, then never mind. Um, what were well, the top tell you 10 anyways. movies on Netflix the week it premiered? <laughs> Red Notice. I wonder if... Can you look that up? Maybe. Like, is I that don't a, even trust those. No, you know, no like, I don't either. Wait, you, don't, you, don't think they're, you don't think they're being on the level? No, I don't. That's why I'm like, I can tell that Power of the Dog was actually a crossover You can tell hit. when something permeates to... Right. When you're surprised by the people who have watched it and the speed at which they watched it, how quickly yeah. it caught on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the top 10 movies on Netflix right now... No, it's a bunch of bullshit. I don't even want to get into this. But Remember uh, when Miss Sloan was on there for like three months this well, she, year? Well, she, she year, took like, on the whole industry by herself. I mean, Listen up, people. These things are obviously impossible to tabulate, but I, I remember reading some article that was like, there's a chance that Secret Life of Pets 2 is the most watched movie in Netflix history. Like, Netflix won't admit it. But and, like, come on. But there's, well, it's in the way that YouTube, like, children's programming right. is... You know, videos have a billion views. Okay, it's just look, like exactly in the middle, and something so, about the fact that movie kind of underperformed at the box office yeah. means that everyone waited for Netflix. Yeah, according to Flix Patrol, okay, which I am not going to investigate how significant that's a spinoff of Physique World. Uh, on December third, twenty twenty one, Power of the Dog was the number one movie on Netflix the day of its release. <laughs> Richard. I don't even know if it's Richard Physique World is twenty twenty. Number two was a film you just mentioned. Red Notice. Red Notice. Number three was what looks like a French comedy about a millionaire trying to help his spoiled children be better people. It's a film? It's a picture? It's a film. What's it called? Spoiled Brats. Okay. There's also something called Single All the Way. Oh, it's gay. With Michael Urey? Christmas movie. Oh, that one. Where it's like he brings his friend home for the holidays and all his family. To be his fake boyfriend. Or like, why is he your real boyfriend? Happiest season, but with a boy? 
No, they know that he's gay, but he doesn't want people to know that he's single and gay. So he brings his platonic gay friend home as his boyfriend. But then that gay, that that is they figure out pretty soon. And then they set him up with a local guy played right. by Luke McFarlane. Right. And then he's like perfect on paper. But then the friend is there. And then, of course, maybe everyone, stop yeah. talking about a film you wrote and directed. I'm just saying, look, I'm here to plug things. I mean, I didn't come out here for free. And also, this is a great example of like the blank check in effect, which is like you make the Trolls movies. Those are your big popular films. And yeah. you get to go make your small personal. Was I not product. clear that single all the way is all trolls? <laughs> Number five on the Netflix chart yeah. is of course everyone's favorite two movie stars in a great Christmas classic. It's Brooke Shields and Carrie Elwes. What's the film called? <laughs> a Castle for Christmas? Christ. What's it it's called? A Castle for Christmas? A Castle for Christmas. Come home to where your dreams begin. I have no idea what this movie's about. Let's see. To escape a scandal, a best-selling author goes to Scotland where she falls in love with a castle and faces off with the grumpy duke who owns it. Uh-oh. You know in cartoons... You're not charmed? You know, like in cartoons when there's a bad smell and the flower goes... <laughs> the recorder's doing that right now. It's just like... Um, I like the recorder turned into rubber. And people say Netflix it, is full of garbage. If you were indexing this episode like on a website and you had to put like, you know, tags or whatever, yeah. it would be like, you know, Jane Campion, Power of the Dog, Annie Prue, a Castle for Christmas, single all the way. All mentioned in one episode. The, oh, you know what? I realized this is worldwide charts. That's how that Spoiled Brats movie got in there. No, but even still, it's like, look, that is a positive of Netflix is it does feel like people are watching international shit. Mm-hmm. That, um, that subtitles kind of are no longer a hindrance. That is true. But I will yeah. say in America, it now. went Power of the Dog. Okay. Single All the Way was three. Castle for Christmas was four. Halle Berry's Bruised was five, her mm-hmm. boxing film. An example of a movie that probably has been underreported in how many people watched it. I right. would not be surprised if that was like one of the 10 most watched things in the last year on Netflix. Yeah. I agree. Number two was the Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence comedy Life. Wow. These weird, like, That's, fucking yeah. TBS well, the movies that just, like, yeah. pop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we should do rankings. Richard, do you want to talk about the third Trolls movie, which is in theaters November 17th, 2023? Or should we wait for plugs? I am I mean, I don't think I'm legally allowed to do that. Wait, I mean, it is. It's about the Corona virus right i mean like explicitly well, i mean and- i guess you could say that i mean so it's actually it's kind of an allegory <laughs> me and david sirota put it together um so it's not explicitly about it but like right. it's clear if you if you like get it you get it but like critics are going to hate it because they hate they you know well, they, they hate like, being told the truth right, right, right. Yeah, exactly it's just a little too blunt for them right yeah my ranking griffin well mm-hmm. actually what's yours do you have one you do yours first well i think the most <sighs> Basically, the top four for me are very close. I don't. Maybe you don't agree. There are mm-hmm. four movies I adore. Okay, and I have them ranked like this: mm-hmm. number one, Bright Star; number two, The Piano; number three, In the Cut; number four, Power of the Dog. And if you caught me on another day, I might put them in a different ra- order. Mm-hmm. Then I would have Sweetie, which I love. Mm-hmm. Then Angel at My Table, and then I think I go Holy Smoke, Portrait of a Lady. I'm going to put two friends last. Last Friends. Yeah. That's my nine. Okay. And I feel confident about five to nine. But I don't about one to four. One to four is sort of tough for me. I'm like, how do I not have the piano number one? But I love yeah. Bright Star so deeply. I mean, she's obviously, she's one of your favorite filmmakers. And you've her. seen all these movies more times than I have. A lot of them are fresh watches for me. My list might be somewhat different than yours. I'm going to go bottom up. Yeah. Because I find ahead. it easier to organize no, that, that's fine. that way. Two Friends is last. 
No disrespect, but also they're kind of stepping on our territory. Uh, yeah. So actually, maybe they should watch it back. Uh, then, then I got Portrait of a Lady. Mm-hmm. Which Wasn't is on the, fire enough for you. It's the only other one I'm not like pretty gripped by. Right? Because um, even, I guess, you kind of have to by default put Holy Smoke next. Sure. But I, I'm pretty fascinated by that movie and it stuck with me a weird amount even though I think it's a mess. Okay? Sure. Then I would go... See, this is where I may be different from you. Yeah, whatever. I, it's fine. I go, sweetie. Uh-huh. Then I go, bright star. Angel at my table really surprised me. I love it. Then I go, piano. Then I go, power of the dog. Power of the dog. Arf, arf, arf. Oh, oh, I forgot in the cut. You did. In the cut goes in between angel at my table and sweetie. Okay. I'm sort of losing the thread here, but I guess that's fifth. I can't. Two friends. Ninth. Portrait of a lady. Eighth. Uh, Holy Smoke. Yeah. Uh, then I go uh, Sweetie, Sweetie six. In the Cut, in the cup, Angel yeah. at My Table, Fourth. Bright Star Piano, whatever, whatever, whatever the, I, I fucking, I don't know, I'm sorry. I think you already just jumped Bright Star a couple spots, but I that's okay. I think I did, I don't know. <laughs> Listeners, figure it out. Top of the Lake remains my favorite thing she's done, but I still wow. haven't watched China Girl. No, so we're going to watch that, that soon. Okay. Um, you guys don't rank Billboard Dad or Winning London or? Passport to Paris. We're real. We try to be very specific about TV doesn't fit into main rankings, but it's tough with her. Cause, okay, fair enough. Because because Billboard Dad didn't play festivals. Well, it was uh, out of competition. It was a market screening at Cannes, but yeah, <laughs> it was in the basement. It was in the it was in the Marche. Yeah, yeah. along with four Bruce Willis movies. Um, Richard, do you have anything to plug? Um, no, just the VF stuff. Obviously, um, I have a review of Power of the Dog written okay. in a pre-festival haze many months ago, if people want to read it. Um, I actually think very differently about the movie that now than I did then. Um, but no, that's it. Just read VF. Listen to the Little Gold Men podcast. Remind me what your number one of the year was. Oh, Worst Person in the World. Good pick. Yeah. Yeah. Same. It's a good movie. About. And it got an Oscar nomination I didn't expect it to, which yeah, is really that was exciting. a very pleasant surprise. I, I thought that maybe Renata might squeak in there somehow, but it was just too I was, I was too crowded. But... I'd love to see it, but uh, you know. yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I, guys for the Ricardos. I'm like 85% done with it. And I'll send it to both of you guys. I've I've almost successfully compiled the entire uh worst person in the world uh soundtrack as a playlist. Ooh, I want when it. When I, I saw I, I've been yeah. waiting to finish it to tell you. Oh, that's I'm almost done. Please, yeah. Because yeah. when I saw it's, that, it took a lot of work because there's a lot of fucking songs in that movie. I was so obsessed with, you know, the Waters of March Same. cover. I've been listening to it on a loop. And I, when I was at Cannes, you had to get a, if you were an American because they didn't accept your vaccination, like QR code, um, you had to get a test every two days. And okay. for whatever reason, maybe it's just France, the people administering the test were like these beautiful, like French 26 year old guys. Mm-hmm. And so I showed up that song blaring in my headphones, yeah. weeping. And I'm like, here's my, <laughs> can I yeah. get my COVID yeah. test, please? And he looked at me like I was crazy. So I'm eager to have that. I'm t- I, I have m- almost all the songs now and I'm trying to get the order correct. Um, what was your number one of the year, Griffin? I just saw that. Yeah. Uh, and so it's still settling for me for a little bit. As of this moment, there's still some other things I need to see, a couple yeah. other big ones. My number one is still French Dispatch, which I am oh, on, and I, I love it. About. I mean, okay. I love that that's your number one. Yeah. Um, but Worst Person in the World's maybe the closest threat 
French Dispatch completely flaming out at the Oscars was yes. interesting, but I think anyone at Telluride could have told you that was going to happen because it went over so badly there. The and, other thing yeah. that's wild is that people were like, I can't believe it didn't even get cinematography or costume or art direction, all this stuff. And it's like, uh, fucking uh, Grand Budapest is his only movie that yeah. has ever performed in the craft categories. It is bizarre for how much he is thought of as like Mr. Visual, craft, yeah. bespoke, what have you. That like his only other nominations are writing and uh, fucking animated for any of his films. Right. He's never gotten an acting nomination. Nope. Not Budapest, even Hackman, which Budapest is the did. only one that got other yeah. categories. Yeah. Uh, it's bizarre because it feels like, yes, he should be getting those fucking Nightmare Alley kind of. Thoughts. I think it should have gotten at least like four craft nominations. Yeah. Yes, know, it's whatever. absurd. Um, we have a plug, a special guest plug. That's right. From a friend of the podcast, uh, uh, John Hodgman, uh, who left a voicemail that I would he like to play. be back on the show. What are we doing? I know. Yeah. We're idiots. Fucking idiots blowing this fucking celeb. Um, okay, so ben, I'm going to play this and then I'll send you the track swap out? Uh, so you can drop it in. Yeah? Okay. Uh, hey, Griffin. Hey, David. It's John Hodgman here. Come in. <laughs> Remember? The old days, how we know each other and everything. Hey, I'm sorry to use the blank check voicemail account for this, but uh, Griffin hasn't been returning my texts, and I sent a guy over to his apartment to hand deliver a letter, but he escaped by shinnying down a pipe in an alley. So I don't know why he's avoiding me, but Griffin, uh, I love the fact that you're Orko in He-Man's of the Universe. I've enjoyed seeing you promoting that on your social media. I'm a little concerned uh, that you've spent no time promoting your role as Lance in Dicktown, the animated show on FX and Hulu that uh, I created with uh, David Reese, another blank check guest, Lance, your character, that lovable juvenile delinquent, Lance. You remember we we made the costume for you in the big plastic Lance head. You you agreed to go to at least 35 cons in 2021. I mean, you didn't agree to it. We signed it. You didn't. But I mean, it was clear the intention. Hey, don't worry about it. It's all water under that bridge that we burned. Because guess what? March 3rd, Thursday at 10 p.m. is the season premiere of Dicktown Season 2. And also, uh, Griffin, you're in it. Lance returns. Remember, you recorded it. So uh, no big deal. Uh, you can make up for lost time by giving us your podcast for four weeks. We'll just do a hybrid, you know, blank dick, uh, uh, blank dick check town or something like that. Okay, or maybe you could just mention it and play this voicemail, maybe. Hey, everybody, it's me, John Hodgman. Check out Dicktown Season 2 on FX on Thursday nights at 10 p.m. starting March 3rd. Hulu the next day and check out Season 1 at bit.ly slash D-I-C-K-T-O-W-N. Always be plugging. That's Dicktown. Thanks, everybody. Come in. Thank you, Hodgman, uh, for sending that in. I have a slightly different uh, memory of events. But uh, I, I will say as sort of a good faith negotiation, um, I am willing to uh, play the message I just played on air. So uh, not, not going to give him the four? podcast for the month. He can have it. Uh, no, come on. All right, fine. We don't have much else going on. Uh, not going to do the conventions, but I, I will agree to do what I just Dick did. Town's so good. It's a great show. It truly is a great show. And I, I say that... Uh, for season one, I was only in one episode, uh, an animation. You feel a lot more divorced from the process, and it was recorded a lot a while in advance. It came out during the pandemic, and it was one of the few pandemic shows that really like uh, captured me. 
and distracted me and amused me, and it's really good. And uh, I have more to do in this season, including as uh, John spoiled riding a motorcycle. Um, but I think it's really good. Yeah, and if you like uh, the Hodgman Rees episodes, then you should like these episodes of a cartoon that both of them are on. That we're I'm I, I'm in. Actually, you're not in it. Uh, I'm not in it, but I do love this show. Anyway, uh, funny way to end our can't be a miniseries. Uh, perfect. Look, sometimes a giant network owned by a giant uh, company uh, announces that they're premiering your show in four weeks with no advance notice, and you have to scramble and text a bunch of your friends and ask if you can be fit into their podcast in any way. He's welcome to come on the Physique World podcast because it's Absolutely. been pretty oh, dormant will. of late. He, but he will. Huge he, following. Though. Yeah, Hodgman's been getting get yoked, back too. Hodgman's like, cut these fucking days. <laughs> it's messed up. We'll figure it out. We'll get him back on. Richard, you're the best. Yep. Thanks for having me. It was fun. A good movie this time. Arf, arf. Yeah. Richard, 10 Lawson. You didn't... The hmm? Big 10. Oh, I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You and Bo Derek. <laughs> We're going to start calling I've, I've skipped all her episodes. I'm sorry. Guys. Richard Bo Derek Lawson. It is, it is wild that we've had Bo Derek on the podcast that many times. Exactly. Yeah. Always talking about Dudley Moore movies. Always. Of course. Always. It's weird that we also keep on picking that many directors who have worked with Dudley Moore. <laughs> anyway. You know who she's married to, right? Bo Derek? Mm-hmm. He got she? married last year. Oh, I know. Or two years ago. Who? Um, Aiden Shaw, right? John Corbett. Really? Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah. That's she's cool. only five years older than him. Remember when she was, was on a... that show, uh, Hawaii, with Jacinda Barrett from Real World London? Uh, anyone? Wild. No? Uh, wild. No. Wild. But wild, I remember Jacinda Barrett. Wild stuff. Um, David, pure as a business, we got to announce our next mini series. Fuck. Jesus. I no, know. Let's not do it. Let's not do let's it? Let's just surprise people. This is this thing with final episodes where we forget, like, oh, fuck, we got, like, you are, well, what, the next mini series, some of you have guessed it. Many. It was originally planned to be earlier. In, you the know, order was flipped. We were always going to do these gonna, two directors at the beginning of the year. Right, but Campion was going to be the second one. And then yeah. his movie got pushed, So we and Campion was popping so much that yeah. we were like, oh, shit, we just reversed them. Uh, the director's name is Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. We're he has doing a new film coming out. The films of Sam Raimi. Of uh, we've been uh, waiting for him to make a new movie, and he has. Yes. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, a passion Who's project. We get to talk Cumberbatch again uh, four months from now. Yep. Uh, we're going to do Sam Raimi, one of the OGs. One of the yeah. on our list from day one. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. It's going to be good. We Absolutely. don't need to preview Sam Raimi, do no, we? we just, he we, made the Spider Man movie. He has not made another movie in the entire time we've been doing Correct. this podcast. So we've Correct. been waiting the, for him to come back. The Oz the Great and Powerful episode is just going to be three hours of silence, right? That's right. Okay, yes. Okay. Respectful. Well, <laughs> like sort of just slight sound of wind in the <laughs> distance. <laughs> A cough, it's like, but not from, from you guys, just from outside. It mm-hmm. might yeah. break Radiant. the witch's record of the least we talk about a movie in an episode on a movie. Might, and Jesus. then an hour and 45 minutes in, Bronco Henry starts talking. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I should mention I recently bought Oz on 3D Blu-ray. Damn good, so I guess. Pot committed. But yes, excited about Sam Raimi. Got good guests and obviously big movies coming up from that. Next week, the Blanky Awards. That, oh, my, my favorite episode. No other a power cleanser. No other uh, uh, Ben's choice. That'll now, be your buffer. We're yes. jumping straight into Raimi because as it is, uh, our Doctor Strange episode is going to be a couple weeks late from when the movie comes out. So we want to strike yeah. while the iron is uh, lukewarm. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that's what's going on here. And also March Madness has just started. Uh, we will have messaged about that in other oh, ways. Shit. But if you're that's not already point. paying attention... You can go to our website where there's a new uh, poll up every day. It's off of Twitter, but uh, Marie will be posting those links. Marie Barty 
We'll be posting those links every day on our Twitter to our website for the voting, which will not be done on Twitter because Twitter is a hellscape. What? Something's up with Twitter? No good. Very bad. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. I just signed up for Twitter Blue, though. Oh, David. <laughs> oh, no. And David's, David's profile That's picture Juliet has just become an octagon. Twitter. What if you make an NFT of the fucking you watching the Interstellar trailer? Yeah. I'm, to be clear, not going to do that. But just, what if, just to be, yeah. Right, yeah. Oh, right. I'm sorry. We, we can't joke <laughs> about Just to be clear, I think NFTs anymore. are stupid. Yeah, we hate them. Yeah, they're bad. Bad, dumb. Um, they are. They're dumb. Yeah, yeah they're like dumb. Them. We don't like them. Jesus. It's <laughs> starting to feel like Did anyone else feel like much? at the end of the episode, the guys were saying they didn't like them too much? Do they secretly love them? No, we don't. All right. Any other orders of business? I don't think so. Okay. March Madness. Dicktown premiered three days ago. March Madness started six days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Blanky Awards Blankies are in, in a week. Same Rainy, in two weeks. 14 days. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Good. Remember to take a walk and drink water and all touch that. grass, touch grass, if you will. A permanent reminder, and I want to remind you all to rate, review, subscribe. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media, AJ McKeon and Alex Barron for our editing. Pat Joe Reynolds, Bowen, Joe Bowen, for Joe our Bowen, work. Pat Reynolds for our artwork. JJ Birch, Nick Loriano for our research. Lane Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. Go to that nifty new blank check website. Uh, for links to our merch, Reddit, and listen to episodes. You can vote on March Madness, all that sort of good stuff. Tune next week for the Blankie Awards with our friend Joe Reed. Mm -hmm. And as always, to Bronco Henry.